Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. Choose Shanna, choose podcasting, choose cats, choose video games, choose a film from the Watch Stacks, choose a film from the regular Stacks, choose to uh, choose job, do choose to let your cat purr into the microphone. Mm, okay, okay, okay. It's not my best. It's not my yeah. worst. For yeah, I, I, of course, referring to our second film, Train Spotting. When we get there, uh, you know, a classic of the uh, of the nineties. It is probably it is so nineties. I had no idea. Supremely nineties. There's that one montage where uh, it's like, look how dorky Britain is. It's sort of <laughs> just like a wacky a, London. I call yeah. it. But first, we're talking about a different British director uh, instead making a film in America. Uh, one of Alfred Hitchcock's many most beloved American films, Rope, from 1948. The first of his three, I think, movies with Jimmy Stewart. Oh, this is the first one. I thought, somehow I thought the other, one of the other ones was first. I believe this one, and then you've got what i would argue are his two best films like the the two best alfred hitchcock movies and i i would have a hard time deciding which of them is my favorite but they're both perfect incredible movies uh and you're you're referring to i guess uh, rear window and vertigo vertigo okay cool yeah. both fucking incredible but uh this one is the first time he's working with him and he's not I mean, he's kind of arguably the main character. Well, I I don't see it that way. Uh, he he solves the problem, but well, it's he's weird working against our main character. He's he's working against. Hmm. Uh, it's weird because he's the one who has an arc. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he, that's true. Brandon does not have an arc. No, and I mean, arguably. Uh, Philip sort of has an arc, but it, it's kind of half done by the time we get there, and it's just it's too late. Yeah, uh, and and it's just him sort of running out the string, let's say. Uh, I guess I guess the uh, the girl and the guy have an arc. It's true. It's weird. But Brandon is just such a blank slate, you know, as a sociopath. Uh, and I guess part of it is, you know, this isn't a film format. <laughs> nope. <laughs> this is this is we are in a party with these people and it's just happening. Well, it's it's all one shot or mock all one shot. You there are spaces where, you know, it's pretty obvious where where the seams are if you're looking for them. I don't yeah. know if you noticed them very much, but they're, oh, they're no, pretty I noticeable. Did, yeah, <laughs> that's that that's fine because yeah. well, it's so ambitious. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't the way he does it, the way he does the transitions between scenes doesn't go against what he's what he's going for. It doesn't make it look awkward. No, they're cool, and I really like the way they use the background and the changing light, uh, the backdrop, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about as as it sort of changes. But uh, just that that it's his first movie in color <laughs> and he, color cameras were fucking huge. I, I don't know if you know this. They were the size of like a fucking Volkswagen. You have to like maneuver that thing around. It is that it's like, oh. well, I'm going to do the, you know, these are the very early color, color cameras. This is still the 40s. So it's 
new and high tech and they were loud and they were gigantic. This is the stuff that they parody in Singing in the Rain, where it's like they're so loud, you've got to dub in the voices afterwards a lot of the time. (laughs) I I didn't know that. So he's not just uh, got a cameraman holding a handheld camera behind the the chest thing when we see in another shot, it's up against a wall. No, it was all built around how they were going to have to move the cameras because they're like gigantic. It's like moving a tank around this apartment. That's, you know, obviously a built apartment set, but really cool. But oh, it's great. So this is loosely based, of course, on Leopold and Loeb, who were uh, just probably the probably still the trial of the century at that point in time. I guess, unless Scopes was after that, you know, they're, they're always updating what the trial of the century was in the 19th or in the the 20th century. Yeah, I think it's pretty, uh, I think it's pretty concretely decided now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) But at at that time, this one was pretty big. This was one of those trials of the century, two rich guys who, there's a bit of queer menace there. You know, there, there was a, a little of uh, and, and anti-intellectualism as well. Just, you know, they're rich upper crust types and, you know, they got it in their heads to just murder for the kicks, for the fun of it. Ah, but we're intellectuals, so we have the right to decide uh, who gets murdered and who doesn't uh, of the inferior beings. Nietzsche said so, so it's OK. Right. Well, and also they're rich, so they're superior. Oh, but well. Yeah, their their real crime really is in choosing a rich victim. And and that's really kind of what their real life crime was, too, in a weird sort of way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, yeah, you know, it's it's obviously very closely based on them uh, or or not closely based, very loosely based on them, I should say. I was going to say, I don't think this is closely based on anything. (laughs) No, it's it's much more. I, it, it's them kind of psychoanalyzing how America viewed them. It's it's them really playing up the queer elements as much as they possibly could within the code, because obviously they could never mention it, but uh, it's there. <laughs> Which is funny because them mentioning it would actually have uh, would have saved them in the in the end. They could have said, "We're acting this weird because we don't want anyone to find out we're lovers." Yeah. Uh, but everybody kind of knows, I think. It, it's sort of an open secret that they're lovers, uh, but it's just never quite say, stated. You you can't quite say it. Uh, no, no. And like even in this, when it was made, th- this is based on a play, a British play. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Well, you can sort of feel it, though. It feels like it's a stage play in the it way does. it's all one. <laughs> I was actually watching and thinking, this would make a great stage play. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's how it started. And then they had to edit a lot of the dialogue just from it being too British that it became gay. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're well, always referring to each other as my dear. And it's like, <laughs> you got to change. You got to remove all of those. It's, it's too on the nose. And they were playing it like they knew they were doing a, a gay <laughs> movie. That was always the point. Uh, it, it is they're, they are so gay. Yeah, they're uh, very gay. It's fascinating. I originally confer- compared them to uh, Fraser and Niles until I saw how gay they were. Then that comparison <laughs> got gross. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't. It takes about five to ten minutes before you realize how. They I are a say, couple. Into it, 
I, yeah, I wouldn't say they're into each other, but they are together anyway. Yeah. Uh, so it opens with the only exterior shot in the whole movie uh, where, you know, we have the opening credits and it's showing just it, it's it's sort of an interesting way to begin because it shows how clean uptown apartment they are, you know, how they're in like a really nice area of New York. Yeah, yeah. The the streets are all clean. There isn't like rampant crime. There isn't even a whole bunch of people walking around. I don't no. think this part of New York exists right now. Did you recognize one of those people who walked by? I did not. It was Alfred Hitchcock. He's one oh, of his cameos of in the movie, of course. Uh, he has two in this one, sort of. Oh, where where's the second? <laughs> you can see... Well, it, it doesn't really work. You you really have to look for it, and even then you have to know what you're looking for because it's sort of in the background and hard to make out. But mm. on one of the buildings in the backdrop, there's a flashing neon sign that's his famous silhouette from his TV oh. show and stuff. <laughs> so, kind of I cool. love it. <laughs> they're, they're, they can be hard to spot, but yeah, he is right there in the opening, uh, walking <laughs> past their apartment. I love the contrast. You've got like this happy um, do, 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 do. That's the always sunny thing, but it's like that. <laughs> and then just these big red letters that say rope rope. And, and yeah, they're, they, they've got sort of that Western look, but uh, they, yeah, it's, it's written harshly. It's, it's got that. It's, it's a poster font. Yeah. Menacing letters. Mm-hmm. So the camera from the street, it turns to the closed curtains and we hear a scream and then we go inside to our one shot that's going to be the whole movie or you know sort of yeah quote yeah. unquote there there is actually one place besides here where there is an actual cut and i can't remember where it's near the end oh yeah i mean they, they do one right at the end as well but sort of just mirrored you know beginning and ending so the, the murder is committed, uh, and we see that our two guys feel very differently about it. Um, Brandon, our, uh, the guy who wanted to do it, looks like he just had the best sex of his life. He he's, needs a smoke. Oh, he's so exhilarated. He does light up a smoke. Uh, and he's notably not the one doing it. Right. He is, <laughs> he is the one holding... Uh, uh, what's his name? David, uh, without, well, while it's, uh, Philip who does the actual strangling. You know who else these two remind me of besides <laughs> Leopold and Loeb, obviously, is, uh, Burke and Hare. Yeah, totally. They have they that got, kind of dynamic. You got your, it's, uh, quasi-intellectual, uh, philosophical leader guy who doesn't do the killing, and the other seemingly dumb guy who kind of gets pulled along and he does all the dirty work whereas here philip doesn't really seem dumb he just seems weak-willed yes he's uh, obviously talented and uh intelligent it's just he is in this weird parasitic relationship with brandon you know he would have been just fine <laughs> i bet if he'd never met this dude he probably would have been a lot better off yeah <laughs> yeah, because uh, Brandon sucks. Yeah, I mean they they feed off of each other. It's uh, the, this is a very common relationship that you see in uh, mass killer couples. You know, you got the uh, Klebold and Harris as well. They have that's, this sort of dynamic, famously as well. Yeah, so, that's another one I was there. thinking of. Yeah, 
So right away, you know, Brandon wants to turn the lights back on, but he, and he's having a smoke. Phil is like, no, you, you have to turn it off. Just wait a minute. I, I really need to decompress from having just killed a person. Not just a person. This is their friend uh, or acquaintance. This is part of their social circle. Yeah, someone who's been part of their social circle for quite some time, too. Like, they all know each other. Mm-hmm. They, they know everyone who knows one another. They're all up on everyone's fucking business because it's a real upper crust social circle type deal. Mm-hmm. Of course, based in like the original case, it's someone's cousin, I think. So, and you know, they, they didn't do it. You know, it, it's, it's not the incredibly heightened concept where they have a dinner party over the corpse, which over is corpse such of... a Hitchcock concept <laughs> over the corpse. It is like, Oh, I invited the father along. You invited yeah. Him. Oh yeah. That's the whole point of the party. Well, I think he he always knew that the father was coming. He just did not realize that uh, the teacher was coming along. Yeah, Rupert. Uh, you invited played... Sherlock Holmes? Why did you do that? <laughs> Basically. Right? <laughs> because I had to prove I'm smarter than Sherlock Holmes. And yeah. I can't do that if I don't have Sherlock Holmes try to solve my mystery. Well, and th- this sort of points to the other couple that they sort of are very reminiscent of is uh, Dennis and Mac. From Always Sunny, as you mentioned, the, the theme song, because they, they have that sort of dynamic. Dennis really knows what he's into and like he's getting off. But Mac doesn't understand. Mac is having trouble with all of this. I'm like, no, we, we just killed the person. Don't you don't you get it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I do get it. That's why. Yeah, this is hot. It. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not going to solve the crime because of the implication. Yeah, exactly. So. I really like all of uh, Brandon's dialogue because he's so excited to tell everyone that he killed someone, but it would ruin the perfect crime if they actually figured out. So he gets to needle it as much as he possibly can at every point. Oh, he's he loves his death puns. <laughs> and he he has just this really childish dark humor like with the the thing with the the lights and how he's like okay i'm, I'm gonna open up the curtains uh, listen nobody ever feels safe in the dark not anyone who was ever a child that is <laughs> oh, 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 oh yeah no no it's okay philip i'm actually taking care of you i you know i understand your fear yeah, I mean, he really does feel like the mastermind. He feels like he is sort of the really evil one who is controlling things. But that's sort of the media dynamic that's drawn. I don't know how much it necessarily represents realism in the, this sort of relationship. It's hard to say. Because <clears throat> you do get a lot of this when you have two male killers who are working together there usually is one of them who's subservient and they have this kind of weird quasi-sexual relationship with death i was <laughs> when you were just thinking about or when you were mentioning about two killers with one mastermind i was thinking pinky and the brain and then <laughs> you said the sexual relationship and i was like oh, pinky and the brain that's yeah. a that's an image i didn't need in my head and it's there now and now it's in yours yeah no so he opens the slides to reveal that incredible fucking backdrop, which it's a miniature city. 
and it has all of these parts that are painted, but it has all of these parts that are actually in motion. You have smoke that moves. You have a lot of pipes in the foreground that are putting out smoke and actual flashing neon signs and stuff. It's so fucking cool. It's cool. And like they keep changing it or keep changing the lighting as the movie goes on. It, uh, yes. Suns, the sun goes down in real it, time. Yeah, it looks I mean, <laughs> it's. It, it sounds silly to be geeking out about the sun going down in a movie, but it looks so good. It's so <laughs> it looks cool. So good. I'm it's, not kidding. It is my favorite thing in the movie. It's so cool. <laughs> I, I do love it. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite thing in the movie, but I do love it. It's cool. Like it, it's a very interesting movie with so many moving parts. It's just such a really cool element that they put so much work into this to have this changing backdrop instead of just trying to shoot this at vaguely adjacent times and sort of match up the colors. But I guess it would be pretty hard to do. And Hitchcock does not like to film in real places. He loves sets. His movies are all on sets with some notable big vistas to sort of establish a place. And then it's like, okay, we we've seen Mount Rushmore and now we're going to the Mount Rushmore set. <laughs> <laughs> so even in Saboteur, that was mostly sets. I think mostly you, you do have a little bit on the actual Statue of Liberty, but yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that they built big sets for. He was big on building all sorts of sets uh, you'll you'll see North by Northwest sometime. That one is fucking amazing. And the set for Rear Window, the next one, is maybe the coolest fucking set ever built. Okay. All right. He basically built apartment buildings, and you have a window in like you're in the apartment building that Jimmy Stewart lives in across the way, like across the courtyard. And he breaks his leg, so he's stuck indoors, and he's just, like, peeping on his neighbors all the time. So it's the entire other apartment building, that whole frontage, and you can see an alley into the next uh, block. So you can sort of see people going by most of the day, and you see the sun go down and everything, and there's all the different apartments that all of the people are living in and doing all the stuff. It's so fucking crazy. Right on. But this one also, you know, it's clearly moving in that direction. Him building these very elaborate sets that simulate reality in uh, a heightened filmic sort of way. Yeah, I noticed this apartment was uh, it, it kind of felt like a like a long hallway. And I realized that you only see certain rooms from certain angles and we never go inside the dining room at all. We only ever stop just outside of it. Right. And uh, I thought I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, that he must that must be must be tricks that like he built it that way to kind of hide the big giant camera, I guess. Right. Yeah. And you don't get a lot of moving out of that one main room with the backdrop. You you sort of just take quick detours into the other places because there's not a lot of room to maneuver back there, I guess. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we only ever see the kitchen from the outside, too. I don't think we go mm -hmm. in. Yeah, no, we, we see the swinging door a few times when mm -hmm. the people go in and out. So at this point, Philip is still frozen in the foreground, uh, just at the chest where they, they dropped David's body into. And he, he's still just standing there with his gloves on, having done the deed, and he hasn't moved. And finally, like Brandon, he's opened the drawers, he's had a smoke, he's been walking around exulting about it. So he takes the gloves off for Brandon. And it feels very intimate. Yeah, there's 
Yeah, there's something about taking off and putting on another person's gloves for them. Yeah. And then he has that thing where he's like going over the 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 liquor set and it's like, hey, you know, this should be a museum piece. Out of this, David Kentley had his last drink. <laughs> like, uh, shame like, that it was what was a scotch yeah. or something. Yeah, something as corrupt as whiskey. It always seemed out of character for him to drink something uh, like that. And you know, uh, fucking Phillips, it's out of character for him to be murdered too. And like, <laughs> <laughs> nothing can ruin this for Bren. And he laughs like, <laughs> yeah, it sure was. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, David, you sure are out of character getting murdered like that. (laughs) Good one, Philip. And he's making a joke. Yeah, no, he's he's like, oh, yeah, you're totally right. The Davids of the world just occupy space. They're the perfect victim for the perfect murder. So perfect. I'm going to tell everyone about it. (laughs) Like, look, he was a Harvard undergraduate. It might just make it justifiable homicide. And he's like winking and nudging. He's like, come on, aren't I just killing it here? Isn't this funny? I'm talking shit about Harvard, man. I'm so intellectual. <laughs> Philip is still just like immobilized by what he's done. And he's like, hey, um, so are you sure this dinner party's not a mistake? Right, yeah. Because the plan is to go upstate to dump the body in a lake. Later uh, under, on tonight. Yeah, under the guise of him going up there to uh, for Philip to do special piano practice. Yeah, he, he needs to just get away from it all. They need to go on sort of a honeymoon, basically. And <laughs> first, yeah, they're having some people over, and it's specifically for the danger. Like, it's it's sort of part of Brandon's whole plan. It's This is how he gets off. It's it's not just doing the killing, but doing the killing and then having a bunch of people over and them not knowing. Yeah, yeah. It it, it almost it's not enough or it's not that it's it's not about the killing. It's about showing he's smarter than everybody. It's definitely the power games. It's about the superiority. And he he has a thing where he's like, "Well, what cuz uh, uh Philip is is saying I already regret doing this. I wish we hadn't done this. Uh, the, the, I wish we could have taken it back. He's like, well, who would you have killed instead? And it's like, I suppose anyone is good or as bad as the other. Like, you perhaps. You frighten me. <laughs> oh, I frighten you, do I? Like wh- really? Well, you know, I've actually just just got nerves. I'm kind of turning against you a little bit. I'm sorry. Well, he says, yes, I've always been frightened of you, but I guess that's, but that's part, part of your, of your charm, charm, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh, uh, I've always kind of been intimidated by you. And it's like, that's what makes you so hot. One of the things that's interesting here in terms of establishing them as gay is that they're always shown close together in two shots, like lovers. Their their faces are always very close together. They're always talking very intimately. It really plays up how gay they are as much as it possibly can without coming out and saying it. Oh, the number of times Brandon's got his arm around Philip and just like, 
imagine it. But he's like got his <laughs> arm like wrapped around his shoulder. It does feel so often like they're about to kiss. But just think of the scandal. So think of the scandal. He's like, okay, I, I admit it. The, the stress is making me turn on you. May I have a drink now? <laughs> yeah. That's well, that's very foolish, isn't it? He's totally the sub here. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, of course, has a celebratory champagne prepared, a very good one that he has chilling in the fridge. Yeah, which is kind of a th- kind of a point that some of the guests make. It's like, why are you serving this incredibly expensive champagne for just what's kind of a mundane event? Yeah, Kenneth is the first one to be like, champagne, really? But Rupert is the one like, I know that this is a really good champagne. Nobody else is aware that it's like a really good one. There's like, okay, champagne. These guys are weird. Whatever. They're doing the thing. <laughs> the, they're they're queer fellows but <laughs> the <laughs> it's definitely rupert is there and it's it was brandon's point all along he wanted rupert there for the real challenge of it and also because rupert's the one who under who could understand where i'm coming from he's rupert the gave him the idea yeah he's the senpai who could notice me he is the senpai for sure so He's got this celebratory champagne and he's given this whole speech as the camera follows them down to the kitchen. It's like, I always wished for more artistic talent. Well, murder can be an art, too. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I mean, I can't actually do anything successfully, but I could probably destroy. That that seems like a good thing for me to do. I'm so superior. (laughs) You didn't even do the murder boil. No, he didn't do it. Yeah. He he supervised. He executive produced the murder. Oh yeah, no, it's it's, it's he managed, and that's the most <laughs> important thing. That's right. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, we killed for the sake of danger and the sake of killing. Ah, oh, I feel so alive. <laughs> <laughs> no one else would do it just for the experiment, but us. Which I mean, is completely this- untrue. Right. At this point in time, this was relatively unknown as a concept that the thrill killer. I mean, there was already Jack the Ripper, but the concept of the serial killer literally did not exist. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, well, this is what, the 1960s? This is 1948. Oh, wait, hold on. This movie was made in 48 and it looks like that? 1948. Like, that's what I say about the backdrop. It's an incredible feat. I straight up thought that this that this was in the 60s. I, That's why the cameras are so huge, because it's 40s color cameras. They were brand new. It was oh, new tech. Oh, fuck. I really, truly thought that this was made in, like, the 1960s. Oh, man, this, it, in this the is 60s, so amazing now. Oh, yeah, in the 60s, they could have said they were gay. Uh, it's It would have been okay because they were villains. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Yeah, that whole but, thing. Yeah, but uh, in the 40s, they couldn't even mention that concept. But yeah, 40s. I mean, it, it just does make it seem all the more impressive. He was really ahead of his time, Hitchcock. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, because like, I've seen so many 60s movies that look just like this. This is... Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm like impressed all over again. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're special and different because they actually committed the perfect crime. I mean, everybody talks about it, but we actually did it. <laughs> We're the first ones to commit the perfect crime. 
that we know of because a real perfect crime yeah. nobody finds out about but you know that's exactly the thing we're the first ones who did it and like you realize that other people have definitely done it before and that's why you haven't heard about it or you know jack the ripper who famously never got caught and he, he got away with it yeah they still can't even decide who it probably was true probably never will at this point maybe no, it was multiple people honestly could have been so he's like you're not frightened anymore of me <laughs> <laughs> and farley granger as uh, uh as philip uh, i i really like the contrast in the their two performances farley granger is very very deeply felt and john Dahl is doing this it's almost an american psycho thing he's doing that uh very glib uh, uh ted bundy-esque uh patrick bateman kind of thing like <laughs> yeah that's great there's just nothing behind his eyes <laughs> i could see him going off about huey lewis in the news right you know i i guess whatever the 40s uh version of that would be vera mills maybe the actual I mean, news they they had uh they do have those conversations about like james mason and stuff later on but those aren't brandon i guess that's rupert and atwater mm -hmm. so yeah uh, farley he or uh, philip has the thing you just astound me and they have the toast and it does really seem like they should kiss but they don't <laughs> he's always saying things like you astound me you're so impressive you're perfect yeah. it's like brandon how did you feel doing it <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the way they talk about doing it too uh, and sometimes the, i forget that they're talking about murder right because you see it, it's the first thing you see in the movie and then the rest of the time it's just them having a lover's quarrel for an hour and a half so it's weird <laughs> well while trying to meddle in other people's level lovers quarrels and yeah yeah it, it's like this weird queer murder version it's like a mashup of clue and who's afraid of virginia wolf <laughs> <laughs> so he says i don't remember feeling much of anything and then remember feelings hurry up do you remember feeling things like i feel things every day <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's sort of like that because he says well, i don't remember feeling much of anything and then he gets really excited and leans close into philip's face and he's like how did you feel <laughs> and, and philip gets really uncomfortable and the camera just like pulls back from both of them to like give them space <laughs> yeah. even like close up in their faces like they're going to kiss all this time it does kind of feel like the camera is another person at this dinner party it has a real presence to it the the way it sort of lurks and is meant to hold your attention like it is an interesting sort of audience attention surrogate like when it's fixated on the chest later on when nobody oh. else seems to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the only thing that's happening is the maid is like just cleaning up yeah oh it's so good I mean, this is sort of the perfect suspense delivery or delivery device for Hitchcock. It's like, OK, first shot, we see a body, we see a murder, we see a body go into a chest, people close it up. And then we spend the rest of the movie with people around the chest waiting for someone to find out the body is there. Like, it's so simple and primal. Oh, yeah. And there's there's so many opportunities. It's like, is he going to find it this time? <laughs> yeah. Is someone going to get in there? 
they're they're lifting the lid ah! <laughs> oh no close that lid so they they go over the you know the party's coming uh of course you know it'll be fun we'll have david's parents over mr and mrs kentley uh his girlfriend or wannabe fiance and of course you know our our good friend kenneth oh yeah kenneth who uh you know wouldn't it be great if if uh, now that david's out of the picture we set up kenneth and janet I'm like oh he he really doesn't deserve it you know i, I kind of miffed at him but well you know he'll he'll learn to thank me for it for having got them back together <laughs> and he has this flash of inspiration it's like oh I have the most ghoulish idea. And he uh, picks up the the candelabras and runs in and places them on the chest. <laughs> well, at least it means they probably won't try to open the thing. Yeah. It's like, uh, and he's just sort of looking for a reason for it. And he's like, oh, I've got a reason. The books. And the camera pulls back to show us rope hanging out of one side of the like the the killer rope just uh sticking out of one end of the cabinet but it's also where the books are stacked mm-hmm. just just a rope we don't have to hide a rope right but here we just see the rope and we see the books and we wait for it you know it see we see them picking up the books and uh moving back and forth with them we're taking them into the living room to set them up there and we keep lingering on that rope hanging out. And then finally, of course, uh, uh, Philip sees it and freaks. <laughs> so the when I first saw the rope, I just thought that rope was somehow like part of the chest, like maybe a rope handle oh. for it or something. I didn't realize it was the rope TM. Yeah, the rope that they used as the murder weapon, which gets so much play in this movie. It's good. <laughs> it, you know, naming the movie rope was a good call. It really was. Uh, it took me. I kind of wondered about the name rope, and it's like, is rope really a sinister thing? Not on its own, but depends what you do with it. Yeah, th- this is a sinister rope. This is a sinister rope. Because Mrs. Wilson shows up, our housekeeper, and uh, Philip's preparing the books, and he sees that rope, and he just fucking flips out, and it's like, Brandon, Brandon. <laughs> You really need to not freak out like this during the dinner party. Uh, this oh, is why I oh wanted the God. lights on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. He, he like just yanks it out of the, the, the crevice and puts it in his pocket. It's like, do you, this, this is so not a big deal. Like, listen, I thought we agreed. The only crime is the crime of making a mistake. Being weak is a mistake. I love how he's like holding the rope in his hand as he's like, as he's pointing uh, all this at all this stuff with Mrs. Wilson and just not remotely trying to hide it. Yeah, he's just curled it up in his hand. He's holding the end of it. And he's pointing with it. And he's like pointing at David or at Philip with it the whole time. Like being weak is a mistake. Like because it's being human. Like because it's being ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, the fanfics this guy would write if uh, oh. he existed in the Internet days. Absolutely. So Mrs. Wilson, her main thing in this whole movie is she's not jazzed about the table thing. The, the whole movement <laughs> of the table is not cool with it. 
<laughs> well, there's not enough room on the chest for all the stuff for the dinner. And the books go on the chest. Why did you switch it to the table? The dining room table is where the move is where where food goes. It's my table. It's such a good table. And you, you switched it. And the guests are going to. No, the guests she can will. just. Yeah, yeah, they can graze. But she will not let it go. She does not let it go the entire movie. It is like her primary focus the whole time. And it's like, oh, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> can you believe they wanted. They told me to use the chest as a table? <laughs> let me pull you aside and tell you about the table. And Brandon has this thing, he, he's got the candlesticks on, he's like, well, it's like a ceremonial altar oh, for our sacrificial feast. Oh, and like, how's that? <laughs> oh, well, I do love sacrificial feasts. I'm not going to ask what's being sacrificed or even really notice what you said. Well, again, she's a very good housekeeper. She minds her business. She's not yep. going to get into their social affairs. I think she is completely aware of them having a relationship. And she's like, that's none of my business. <laughs> yep. They pay me for my housekeeping. They, they'll pay for my taxi. They pay me. They treat me good. I'm just going to let it go. And in terms of queer theory, one of the other things people talk about is potentially also Rupert being gay and sort of being much more closeted and sort of much more buttoned down. And that's sort of why uh, Mrs. Wilson is sort of like, I could probably land him. I, I could, I could be a good beard for this guy. I could, <laughs> you know, get, get the money and just sort of live as his live in housekeeper. Someone who always treated me really well. <laughs> oh, she is, she is into Rupert. She She's so really happy. into Rupert. Yeah. She's jazzed uh, that he's showing up. <laughs> you know who's not jazzed that Rupert's showing up? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, first, Philip gets upset about the rope, that he's gesturing with the rope. And Brandon has that very showy walk as the camera follows him from the living room to the kitchen, where it follows him through the swinging door, and he gestures up in the air. He holds the rope up its full length and drops it into the drawer. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't place the rope into the drawer. He dramatically drops it into the drawer. Watch he, me drop this rope. Yeah, it's like, oh, a piece of rope. Whatever will I do? This is like, do you not get that this is just a common household item? Look, I'll just go put it away. You know where it belongs? In the kitchen drawer. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to play with it so much. Oh my God. He's not done playing with the rope. Cause he leaves like, not only does he, you know, hold it up, he's swinging it the whole way on the way <laughs> in. Just having so much fun with it. <laughs> like something I would do if I had a rope in my hand without even thinking, but right. Exactly. Maybe not if I had just murdered somebody with it, or maybe if I did, but without thinking hard to say. <laughs> so yeah uh, they're they're talking about rupert and he's like oh well you'll be so excited because uh, uh rupert is going to be coming tonight he's like R rupert's coming it feels like they're discussing an ex yeah <laughs> kind of yeah actually like oh well i better get dolled up then <laughs> well, like all three of them feel like they're talking about someone that they dated before. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things Miss Wilson says is like, well, some people say he's a little peculiar, but, you know, I don't oh, listen you know, to gossip. 
I didn't catch I didn't catch the meaning behind that. <laughs> Both. To, <laughs> I mean, especially at this point, right? Yeah. So, uh, Brandon, he's like, I thought of suggesting or inviting Rupert to join us, you know, for the killing. And he's yeah. like, but I don't think he has the nerve. Yeah, he, he definitely can think of the idea and he can definitely. And he has the moral strength, but I don't think he could go through with it. Yeah, but he'll be impressed that we did. Yeah, I think he might be the only one who could understand the beauty of what we've done. Talking to Rupert, I kind of at first felt that he might take their it's, side. It does sort of seem that way, because when he starts individually coming up with his philosophy of murdering the lesser, uh, he does sort of seem like a total fucking wad. <laughs> but, yeah you know he's jimmy stewart and he gradually reveals himself to have moral fiber which is why uh, it, it comes up a little bit later when they're talking about james mason people in movies the studio wanted james mason because james mason seemed like the sort of guy who had schemes and was kind of dirty underneath whereas jimmy stewart was so all-american and trustworthy and audiences liked him so much they felt wrong having him as this guy <laughs> Well, he he does get to uh, speech them out of their plan at the end. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it, it's a classic Jimmy Stewart gradually getting louder speech. <laughs> <laughs> so Kenneth is the first person to show up and they're serving the champagne. It's like, champagne? Is it someone's birthday? Oh, quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> yeah, Brandon, really almost the opposite. <laughs> uh, Brandon, what does that mean? It's like, Nothing. oh, no, it's, oh, well, Philip is building the world of temporary fel farewell. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> the two of them are going to drive up to Connecticut to uh, uh, to Brandon's mother's house so he can practice piano in solitude. <laughs> that's what they're calling it these days, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they, that's what's going on. You know, they're, they're going to practice some piano, some bun burying uh, in Connecticut. Uh, <laughs> Do you know Philip's got great piano fingers? He does. Oh, man. Seems like I want to get him those. The, the whole excuse that they keep going to that like, oh, you know, the, the death we're talking about is you know, we're, we're going to go on a trip. It, it's very <laughs> loose. <laughs> yeah going on a trip that's like that's like dying that's the opposite of birth yeah but i feel like these guys are known dramatics so oh, yeah. it's like oh, okay sure guys whatever <laughs> that's just brandon pretending we don't all know he's gay right and brandon's like okay so of course, yeah. Well, David will be here later, and of course, the Kentleys are coming to see some books. Uh, Janet Walker will be here, and Kenneth, like, uh... <laughs> we broke up. What? I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but your chances with the young lady are much better than the than you think. I'm like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. interesting <laughs> and janet is of course the next person to arrive uh she has so much energy when she comes in and she's sort of hilarious until I, I she runs her. into ken oh yeah she's mm. great isn't she 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 reminds me 
of the the girl from Hudsucker Proxy, only mm. not doing that voice as a joke. Yeah, it's like the original version of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Just Joan Chandler, just totally rocking it as Janet. One of my really wild queer theories of this is that every character in this is kind of gay, because. Uh. The thing with the thing between her and Kenneth does seem to be the two of them coming to uh, a sense of agreement with each other. And it, it does turn out that she did not dump him. He dumped her and they have sort of like a weird unspoken thing going on. But then they reconcile after talking to each other and are pretty good at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, we don't. I don't think we see the whole reconciliation, but we do see enough to know that it happens. And it's not a thing where they're going to get back together. It's they have a mutual appreciation for each other and have sort of understood it. And it definitely kind of in the scope of everything else, it kind of seems like maybe this whole social circle is kind of quietly closeted queer. Like even David is, you know, out there and like it's it's Kenneth and David both potentially choosing Janet as their beard. <laughs> But of course, Janet, so she I, she she runs into Ken and she's like, uh, it seems I've run down. <laughs> like she's bustling with energy until she sees him. But my favorite line in the movie, or at least my favorite line <laughs> delivery is like, well, what do you say to some champagne? <laughs> Hello, champagne. <laughs> See, so I told good. you I wasn't funny. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding? That's the funniest line. That's so good. Hello, champagne. Uh, it's beautiful. So she she's t- talking about she writes this beauty column, you know, and and uh, uh, one of those sort of write-in columns where people uh, send questions and she answers beauty questions for people. Oh, like one of those um, and landers or. Yeah, but like but more beauty. focused on beauty instead of relationship advice, I guess. Well, these guys needed Ann Landers. But I think it's interesting how she calls all of these young men chum. Yeah, actually, that that's like a Bruce Wayne thing. It is, but it like, well, it, she's also the tough talking dame, but it also kind of, it, it, at least from other stuff I've seen, it kind of feels like... You know, like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're on the same level that it, it kind of again, it's it's part of that queer narrative that these guys, they're chum. Uh, so will Ken be by the end of the movie. Mm, true. Oh, oh, that's what you mean. Yeah, because he she does refer to him as chum later on, but not right away. Batman only ever calls Robin his chum. <laughs> So she's looking at these paintings. She's like, hey, let's look at this one out in the hall here. She like pulls Brandon out into the hall and chastises him about inviting Ken. Yeah, what the fuck are you doing inviting this guy? You know we're broken up. I had no idea. What? What? Because he dated her before Ken. I can imagine how that went. They don't talk about how it went, but I can imagine how it went. Right, which again is sort of why I'm sort of thinking like the the cycle of uh, her going from Brandon to Ken to David, and all of them having just sort of a weird vibe altogether. 
She has a type. Maybe. She has a type. Yeah. So they talk about Rupert being uh, showing up later. Uh, and it's like, oh, he's a publisher of philosophy books. Because it's like she I, I think it's. What was it? Janet or Ken, who is looking to maybe get published, is like, no, he publishes like highfalutin philosophy textbooks. And I, I think it was Janet and it was something like so. he just publishes what he likes. Yeah, it's not really your sort of stuff it's to just really ridiculous philosophy stuff. It's like, oh, OK, big ideas, big words, small print, small sales. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. She is funny. I don't care what she says. I love her. She's the best. So Ken says he, he talks about how Brandon used to sit up all hours at the master's feet, referring to <laughs> Rupert. <laughs> I don't see Brandon sitting at anybody's feet. Oh, my God. I just realized what that line means. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon's not a bottom. <laughs> no. So they they kind of basically the way they describe him, he sort of comes off like he's Jordan Peterson. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he's, he's talking about like well murder is a privilege for the chosen few you know you, if you're just the best you're good and rich and you're intellectual <laughs> oh my god yeah at least at least that's how they describe him and how he comes off at first yeah although he'll reveal himself to be a jimmy stewart character ultimately you, know, you, mm -hmm. you gotta get there <laughs> yeah well he has to have his arc first so uh, Mr. Kentley shows up with his sister-in-law, Mrs. Atwater, because Mrs. Kentley is ill. And this is sort of a background thing that Mrs. Kentley is maybe just always ill. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the impression I got. Uh, he said, how's, how's this Mrs. Kentley? Oh, same as usual. This time it's a cold. Yeah, it's like, it's all bullshit. She didn't want to come and she's pretending to be in bed now. And this like... Uh, it's just always the thing like don't don't patronize her don't try to uh, call her like we, we just uh, we don't want to encourage this anymore <laughs> <laughs> he seems like an extremely tired man <laughs> poor uh cedric hardwick as henry kentley well, he's gonna be even more tired in a few hours he just keeps getting more and more tired throughout the movie so Mrs. Atwater, she's very funny, too. She's a very big, uh, you know, classic dowager type. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've read your horoscope before coming here. Yeah, she's just done Janet's horoscope. Like, oh, the stars are very kind. They indicate marriage very soon. To a man with a very kind father. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, we get it. Like, we, we're not supposed to know about that. Interestingly, uh, there was a trailer for this movie. The initial trailers that they made for this movie showed David proposing to her <laughs> and then leaving to go, you know, uh, to the bar that day. Oh, oh, like earlier in the day. And it's Jimmy Stewart doing a voiceover talking about, and then after he left here, she would never see him again. And then it just cuts to, you know, a few scenes from the movie. Oh, so the trailer is part of the story. That's cool. 
Yeah, kind of interesting. The the trailer shows you just a little bit extra. So if the trailer is canonical to the film, which I guess should be more or less, because, uh, you know, it was actually done by Hitchcock. He was very involved in the uh, the advertising for his films. He would often appear in them himself and be sort of the main character because, you know, they were sold on being Alfred Hitchcock movies, first and foremost. This is my movie, Birds. Yeah. That's such a fucking crazy trailer. Him just <laughs> talking to the audience like, it's going to be a difficult movie to describe. But yeah, so it's it's one like that. It, it's it's sort of metatextual and you get to see a little bit of, apparently they just got engaged earlier today, which really brutal. <laughs> yeah, wow. Like, uh, yeah, like everybody knows about it already. Oh, I wanted to have fun telling people myself. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, it, uh, ultimately that that would be uh, a sour thing <laughs> it's not going to come mm. off so mm. when mrs atwater comes in she sees kenneth and she goes david <laughs> like no no i'm not david but philip is so startled he breaks his champagne glass and cuts himself yep yep which uh you know of course makes him freak out like oh my god they're gonna know they're gonna know and brandon's like Philip, get it together. And he's like, I just uh, cut my the glass, the glass cracked and I cut myself. It's a this is thing actually, that happens. It's, it's actually one of the weird ones because uh, Brandon doesn't notice it until Philip is already pretty easily shaking it off. It's one of the few times where he seems to be really in control of himself. Like he realizes it very quick and he puts a, a rag around it and He's like, what happened to you? You seem to have cut yourself. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's nothing. I just, uh, you know, there, there was a crack in the glass and it was no big deal. It was absolutely nothing at all. And Brandon I, looks startled. He's like, Are, what, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> nothing. It's really no, no big deal. Well, he's startled because he thinks Philip is panicking in front of everybody, which he kind of right. was. He was, but him highlighting it isn't helping. Yeah. So Janet... And Mr. Kentley talk about how Mrs. Kentley is just fucking sick all the time. And it's like, I'll go phone her and just make sure she's okay. And it's like, oh, all right, fine. Uh, try not to encourage her too much, please. <laughs> so, uh, Brandon, because uh, like she's gone to phone in the bedroom and Brandon gives champagne to Kenneth to take to Janet in the bedroom. Well, you should really send David. Yeah, well, David's somehow not here. Well, he's like, yeah, that would be great. And then you'd just love for David to walk in. And <laughs> Brenda's like, no, no, that'd be too much of a shock. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, if Kenneth or if David were to walk in all of a sudden on them in uh, the bedroom, that would be pretty shocking right about now. Uh, pretty pretty shocking yeah yeah so uh, mrs atwater starts talking about her horoscopes with philip and he she's like reading his hands <laughs> oh, you have such lovely hands for playing the piano i want your hands she does the oh these hands will bring you great fame and of course philip is like uh, this is not helping you're, you're i know you're just trying to be a well-meaning old biddy but you're phrasing everything in the worst possible way please stop your piano skills ought to die for <laughs> yeah, exactly 
So Philip starts playing some piano and uh, Rupert suddenly just sort of shows up. Uh, he, he, he doesn't ring the bell or anything. He just like walks in and uh, he just throws everyone off. Everyone is thrown off their game. He's very intimidating to everybody. Yeah, Rupert doesn't really believe, it feels like, in so much of the social conventions. Yeah, um, and he, he's clearly um, ready to mess with them, and he's interrogating people's motives all the time. Because right away, he's asking about the champagne thing. Yeah, yeah, like, what's up with the champagne? I, don't, I didn't think you going away for your honeymoon piano trip was uh, that big of a deal, you know? And it... He's, you're just giving this guy some books. Why the champagne? And Brandon is clearly on the back foot because he's stammering while he's sort of explaining his alibi that he already worked up earlier and that he's prepared. And it's like, well, you know, I just thought, you know, because it, it was sacrificial and, you know, because we're going away. <laughs> just, you know. You always stammer when you get excited, Brandon. Well, well, I'm I'm always excited when I'm holding a party, of course. Whereas Mrs. Wilson shows up to rescue him. He's like, oh, wonderful Mrs. Wilson. I may marry her someday. She's just the perfect beard, right? Totally. So he also asks about the chest. Or no, no, it's I think it's. Kenneth, maybe. No, no, it, it is Rupert. Rupert asks about the chest, and he mentions how in their in the stories that Brandon would write in college, he'd always be working chests into these stories. He, he seemed to like these bedtime stories about uh, people getting stuck in chests. Hmm. <laughs> Don't suppose there's someone stuck in this one. <laughs> hmm. Never mind, I actually am not implying that out loud. No, not yet. But not yet. he's he's already starting to like, oh, a chest, that's interesting. This seems to be a fetish object for you, Brandon. How about <laughs> that? It's like, nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, me and Philip love our chests. So they, they bring out the food. They've got the chicken on the plate. Philip will not have any. It's like, I, I don't eat it. <laughs> and we we have this really weird public freakout because Janet's like, whoever heard of someone who doesn't eat chicken? I don't eat like, chicken. Well, yeah, right. But of course, we know that he's not vegetarian. Yes, he, just... he does eat chicken. It's just he's clearly freaked out right now. It's like, did you, Brandon? I I like the way she phrases it because she says. The like, whoever heard of someone who doesn't eat chicken? Like, did you, Brandon? Chris, oh, you probably did, because you know they live together and knows their cousins. Like, oh well, yeah, I mean, I know obviously you you <laughs> are aware of this already. <laughs> they live together in their one bedroom ho- apartment. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how many bedrooms it is, but I'm assuming just the one. I mean, it's a huge open plan place, but it's hard to say because we only see the one big room. Mm-hmm. So this is where we have this story about strangling chickens, which is heavily disputed. Heavily disputed. I never strangled a chicken. It never happened. Because <laughs> the, the, what instigates it to begin with is that Rupert already knows the story. He's like, oh, yeah, uh, Brandon, why don't you tell this story? And Philip, obviously, I never strangle a chicken in my life. 
Everyone's uh, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it seems like you're just about ready to strangle each other. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> right. Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> and he starts, this is where he kind of uses it as an in to talk about his favorite philosophy uh, about how, well, any reason for murder is as good as any other. <laughs> yeah, if, if as long as you're just killing the inferior people, like you know the uh, the grocery store clerk or the or the waitress at the west at the restaurant, people are just being too slow or just wasting your time. He gives a, a category of people who deserve slow torture to before being killed, which are hotel employees, bird lovers, tap dancers. Small children, and then he like takes a beat and he's like, Now, landlords, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, his heart's kind of in the right place, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, his thing is, murder is or should be an art, so the privilege of committing it belongs to those few who are really superior individuals, right? But it Brand, comes up. Well, well, I like that immediately he says the thing about superior individuals, and this is where Brandon's like, oh, oh yeah, it's, yeah, and and the the victims, inferior beings. <laughs> oh yeah, Brandon is like, y- you're right, senpai, killing yeah. rules, and it's I'm, so cool, and the people who kill are so cool. Yeah, I, I'm so excited. Like you're you are agreeing with me. You're you're right in 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 line with what I said. In fact, it's like you should find out that I. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. He, he like could barely contain himself. Though. Yeah, he's he's so ready. But Rupert, he's kind of essentially proposing the purge. He's like, well, do you think it should just be open season on people? He's like, no, maybe we just have you know certain times that you can do it. He, he's essentially proposing the purge, but he's proposing it in a very flippant kind of jokey sort of way. It's a thought game for him. It's not something that he actually believes in, but he likes to play up how much he pretends to believe in it. And uh, Mr. Kentley cannot tell if he's joking. He does not like this conversation one tiny bit. He's like, well, who's to decide? And of course, Brandon decides to debate him, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty intellectually superior myself, so yeah, I'm like, just well, saying. The few privileged to commit murder. He's like, well, uh, yeah, who might those be? He's like, well, myself and Philip, <laughs> possibly Rupert. <laughs> possibly <laughs> Rupert. <laughs> oh, don't be bringing me into any of this. Yeah, it's like, Kent Lee's like, oh, okay, I see. You've read Nietzsche and you think you're very <laughs> smart. That, that's what this is, right? And he's like, well, I haven't, yes. <laughs> i have read nietzsche and i do think i'm very smart yeah it's like you know who else thought nietzsche's superman shit was really cool hitler and brennan's like well i don't think hitler's cool but listen nietzsche's pretty cool all right fascists are stupid but you know uh i i kind of like some ideas that led to fascism that's all <laughs> <laughs> Mein Kampf has some good points. I'm not saying I like Hitler, but... 
he's very against Hitler because his thing with the fascists is like, I'd hang them all for being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much better at deciding who can die than Hitler is. Yeah, I'm, I'm what? I'm I'm much more superior. And Mr. Kenley's just like, I, I've had enough of this, please. Can we just like talk about something else? This is really upsetting me. I, I I'm I yeah, we're we're really f- close to the end of World War II, and you guys are just like already being like, well, maybe we didn't learn anything from that after all. Like you kids today. <laughs> oh, oh, wow! That Hitler, that Hitler conversation hits way different when I realized this was in 1948 and not the 60s. Yeah. yeah. Oof. <laughs> Ooh. So there is like, all right, I'm sorry. I, I really apologize for getting in this fight. Let's go look at the books. Uh, and Mr. Kennedy's like, I should probably call home first and see what the hell's going on with David. I don't know why he hasn't shown up here. He's probably at home. We will see if the the wives heard from him. Yes, because the whole thing is like it, David is never late. He always calls. Um, you know, he's one of those guys. Yeah. He'll be where he says he's going to be. He's reliable. That's so, the word. Yeah, and Rupert takes Brandon aside and is like, uh, so you're really debating this pretty hard. You're not planning on doing away with a few inferiors by any chance, are you? Not planning to. <laughs> well, Brandon's like, who knows? I'm a <laughs> creature of whim. <laughs> And her yeah. was like, <laughs> but really bad. <laughs> you, you know I'm just joking, right? But Mrs. Atwater, you know, she comes by like the huge boat that she is. And she's like, <laughs> oh, in my youth, I used to read often. And I was like, oh, we all do strange things in our childhood. <laughs> <laughs> like really easy to just pivot into the glib humor and get out of the situation. <laughs> I can't discuss this serious thing with you. I have jokes to make. Yeah. So Brandon, he's like, Kenneth, why don't you put on some music? Some romantic music goes a long way. And he winks at Janet. And she's like, oh, you fucking piece of shit. I hate you so much. <laughs> she's like so disgusted with him. Yeah. <laughs> but the, it. They've been left, uh, Kenneth and Janet have been left alone in the living room while everybody's gone to look at these uh, first edition novels that uh, they have a big pile of to show and give some to uh, Mr. Kentley. On the dining room table, that is no place <laughs> for God books. damn it. We had a chest for those. Why <laughs> did you even do this? We're going to need to put them back there. Just a waste <laughs> of my time. So... Uh, Kenneth and Janet, they they have this conversation with like, so what the hell do you think Brandon is up to? <laughs> he's obviously up to something. I think he's trying to get us together. He said that I had really good chances with you. Right. Oh, yeah. And she admits to being feeling really embarrassed to be here with Kenneth right now. And it does come out that he was the one who dumped her. She says, you threw me over, chum. Mm-hmm. Chum. Uh, yes. <laughs> and she she really feels bad about coming between Kenneth and David because the two of them were best friends. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> best friends. They were best they were buds. Roommates. They were roommates. So they were besties, but she came between the two of them. And 
basically how they they got together or how uh, she and david got together is right after she and kenneth broke up after she was dumped by kenneth she ran into david and she cried on his shoulder and told him all about it and really opened up to him and she's usually very glib and jokey and hello champagne so <laughs> you know it, it, her opening up to him was like a whole new thing yeah she just felt like really like she could be herself around him which it's a nice feeling, I've heard. Yeah, and also I would say, uh, you know, uh, maybe kind of, again, oh, well, I can be totally open about who I am. We can both be really open about who each other are in this ah. relationship. Interesting. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's all just sort of all there in the subtext. By the way, where is David, though? <laughs> where is David? That's strange. But she's like, I, I love David. I, I admit it, and... Ken's talking about uh, the, the the suggestion that Brandon made earlier. That he's like, well, I don't know why he thought I had a chance again with you, why he was saying that earlier. Hold on. Brandon told me that he didn't know we were broken up. He's like, he, he gave me this suggestion that David was out of the running. It's like, are we both being fucked with? And they both go to confront Brandon about it. Yeah, they're like, you didn't even invite David to this thing, did you? Well, they like, did you deliberately arrange it so that David wouldn't show up? That, yeah, that's that's what it was. And she's just like yelling at him. And we see in the deep background, Rupert just lurking, watching in the background. We see his head pop up in like the the uh, back right corner oh, as the two of them notice. are yelling. He's just like, hmm, just like watching. Stroking his chin, having a drink, like, okay, okay, I'm paying attention here. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Rupert and Brandon, they chat about, he's like, well, so, something going wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, everything's gone perfectly, and also, what do you mean gone wrong? Yeah, I I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, This is where one of the hidden cuts are. I think this is maybe the second one. Yeah, yeah, where it just, uh, the camera goes in really close into his back and then pulls out. Pretty much always Brandon's back, interestingly. Oh, yeah, it is too. There's, I think, only one instance where it isn't. Right. So Mrs. Wilson, she tells Rupert about just all of the weirdness today, and it's mostly about the table. (laughs) (laughs) The table and the chests, the whole thing about this the books don't go on the table. That's where the food goes. The food goes on the table and Philip comes to save the day. But first, when she first starts talking to them, she's like, you know, when I came in, they were having this heated discussion. They were going at it, hammer and tongs. It very strongly suggests she's referring to it as a lover's quarrel. It's It right. sort of has this very uh, uh, specific subtext. It's like, oh, what about? It's like, oh, Even if I knew, I wouldn't tell. I'm like the grave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the grave. But yeah, death puns. Of course, death puns. Uh, Hitchcock loves a death pun. But (laughs) uh, you know, it's it's her again affirming, like, oh no, I stay out of my uh, client's personal lies. I mean, I'm a good housekeeper with that. You know, I've kept your secrets. And she starts complaining about the table. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to have to put all the books back away. And, you know, it's this whole thing. And then, yes, Philip just sort of 
rushes over in the middle of it. He's like, well, I think it's much better this way. <laughs> also, you should be entertaining our guests, not lecturing them. Yeah, you're here to serve the guests, not lecture them. It's like, okay. <laughs> and like everyone has, like she and Rupert share a look and is like, all right, <laughs> what's your problem, dude? <laughs> yeah, Philip doesn't normally want people to do things. Philip, this is a strange thing for Philip to do. So he goes and sits down and he starts to play some piano and Rupert sits down and he's just throwing him off his rhythms constantly. He's trying to play this fairly complex little piece and just Rupert's messing with him. He pulls out a metronome. (laughs) Yeah. And every time I love this scene because every time he like catches him in a question, Philip just loses his rhythm just a bit. Yeah, and he'll keep re-hitting the metronome to change the rhythm each time, too, and it keeps switching up. So first he's like, look, you know, I get quite intrigued when someone doesn't answer a question I ask them. Because he's asked, like, what's going wrong? Like, what's going on here? What's going on with this party? Nothing's going on with the party. What what are you talking about? I, I, what, what? Listen, I'm just going to play some piano. It's like, so what's going on with the party, though? (laughs) And he was like, come out with your accusations if you have one. And it's like, no, all right. (laughs) Well, I don't I don't know what I suspect. I just uh, I don't know enough yet. I don't suspect anything yet. What do you drink? I'll I'll have a brandy. Pour you a brandy. Let's just chill. He's like, I wish I could come out with what I want to know, but unfortunately, I don't know anything. And he has a pregnant pause, like, I merely suspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here's where Philip's like, well, what do you suspect, though? And this is when he pulls out the metronome and just starts messing with it. Yeah. So he's like, what do you know? And what he thinks at this point is just that Brandon is doing some weird sort of relationship bullshit with Kenneth and Janet and David. And he's trying to mess with the three of them. He doesn't think it's anything as as sinister as murder yet. That's far from his mind still. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He'll get there quickly. Right. But Philip relaxes when he realizes that he thinks it's just relationship bullshit. And he laughs. He's like, (laughs) oh, yeah. That's what you think this is. Yeah, no, it definitely is just that. Well, just him laughing is like, (laughs) oh, that's what you think this is about? And Rupert's like, am I so far off the track? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Oh. It's like, oh. No, no, you nailed it. It's that. Hold up. So the chicken thing earlier, I know that you've killed chicken before. I've literally personally seen you do it. You remember when I came up to your farm and watched you kill chicken personally? Like, yeah, well, no. See, I meant I didn't kill chickens that time. Like, well, you literally said I never have. And he's like, well, okay, okay. And he keeps flicking the metronome. He's keeps breaking the... <laughs> like, Ugh. So he, he finally stops. Uh, and Mr. Kentley re-enters. Because he's got all of the books tied up this very familiar length of rope. Oh my god, it's the rope TM. And Rupert sees how fucking upset 
uh, uh, Philip is when he <laughs> sees the books go by and he thinks it's about the books first. Yeah, yeah, he still hasn't quite figured it out. And this, by the way, is when sunset starts in the backdrop, where it's changed to that beautiful warm orange sunset color with the oh, smoke yeah. and everything. So fucking cool. I love the window, how it's not just like a like a straight glass, it's like um like a greenhouse type window. Mm-hmm. It's it's got the top on it and it goes around a corner. Yes. Oh man, this is such a cool apartment that I would never ever ever be able to afford <laughs> yeah i mean especially now but probably oh then it was already pretty York. expensive yeah it's fucking crazy so uh they have sort of one of their quarrels they they start squabbling philip and brandon and rupert rushes over to like oh what, what's going on here but then there's a phone call from mrs kentley and mrs wilson comes and interrupts the conversation just like can someone please talk to mrs kentley she's Freaking out. So Mrs. Atwater, of course, leaves to go deal with that. Yeah. And this is where they're having this conversation about, you know, uh, the uh, the the rope and the books. And, well, what, what were you so upset about there? And uh, uh, the camera pans away from the conversation and just starts watching Mrs. Wilson Taking the table apart, you know, taking off the book, taking off the food, putting it I away. I love this bit because she's putting it away so slowly and so methodically. It's like, is she going to open the chest? Does she have to open the chest to do her job now? Because the conversation just keeps going on. Nobody's Nobody senses any. Like, we don't see their faces. We don't see any of them reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Just the camera lingering on just the chest, and we see, like, someone's back and just her going back and forth between the kitchen and the chest. It's like, oh, the tension. Oh, my God. I don't even know what I want to happen at this point, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Do we want her to find it? Do we want her to just keep going? Um, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even sure. It's like, oh, my God. Is she going to find it here? Do I want her to? What's even going to happen? This was, for me, the most suspenseful part of the movie. It's just pure, perfect suspense for this moment. Just like we're looking at a, a a box with a dead body in it, and there's a bunch of people who are going to be very, very surprised when it shows up, and a couple people who are not going to be, right? And yeah. it's them having this long conversation, and they're talking around it because it's about David not being there because uh, Rupert's like, well... Where could David be? And he starts interrogating everyone's movements during this afternoon. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, as Mrs. Wilson is finally going to lift the lid and start to put the books in, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually wasn't paying that much attention to the conversation because I was just so fixated on the chest and the cleanup process. Right. It's just him very, very slowly starting to like, well, what was everyone doing? Do you have an alibi? Do you have an alibi? Well, what was, well yeah, I figure, you know, it's, if we can get everyone's stories together, maybe we can figure out where Brandon might be. But David or David, right? Yeah. But yeah, Brandon rushes over and he stops them. It's like, uh, well, you can leave that till morning, Mrs. Wilson. It's like, well, I wasn't really planning on coming in tomorrow morning since you guys are going on vacation tonight it's like well you're gonna need to (laughs) you have to you'll have to clean the books up and put them in the chest can't i do that now no no just no leave it 
Uh, and Mrs. Atwater has, she comes back and is like, Mrs. Kentley's really worried. She's starting to freak out that David hasn't shown up anywhere. Maybe, and she's thinking maybe we should call the police. And Rupert, we see him looking at Brandon and Philip reacting to the idea of the police being called. And and they do react. They're like They react. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the most perfect crime. They they really didn't think that much of it through. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> the thrill killing was such a new idea. They thought Oh yeah, I mean it's a great it was an experiment. It was an experiment. They they he didn't want to See, he didn't want to get caught. He only wanted to almost get caught. But the problem with almost getting <laughs> caught is you sometimes you get, get caught. caught. <laughs> yeah. So finally, Mr. Kentley and uh, Mrs. Atwater, they, you know, they're they're going to leave. They're like, Janet, you come with us because, you know, she's thought to be, you know, she's definitely going to be a daughter-in-law. We know they're engaged. Yeah. And, and also she's pretty done with the party anyway. Yeah, she's like things have gotten the vibes are way off. And we have the thing where she's really amicable with Kenneth. It's like, hey, Kenneth, why don't you come with us? It's a good thing we had that conversation. I I feel a lot better. Yeah, I'm really glad we kind of got it all out. And, you know, we were kind of even keel again. You know, come come hang with us. Uh, Let's get away from these weirdos. And Brandon's like, oh, you two are leaving together, huh? Yeah, he comes and grins like, you're leaving together, how about that? And they don't even respond, they're just like... Yeah, okay, bro. <laughs> yeah, they they both, like, they're weirded out by it. It's like, I, I don't know what you think you're doing here, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly, they find themselves unable to leave because the social cue is missed, <laughs> and they're there for <laughs> days, and they have to eat sheep. I mean, they'd be eating David, wouldn't they? They would be eating David. It's like, he, he's the well, well, you know, well, we're I... superior beings, so we get to eat the inferior being. And ultimately, See, everyone would have to I either agree or jump out the window or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> fuck exterminating Angel was so good. It's so, so was good. this, though. Yeah. The the Bunyell is... version of Rope would be very fucking mean and intense. It's got oh some movies God. that are a bunch of high class people slowly tearing people, tearing each other apart. That, that's a thing he does sometimes. <laughs> oh, man, he'd have a field day with this story. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so Kenneth is leaving with them and Rupert kind of shell shocked. He's clearly troubled because he started to put together something's really fucking not right. And he heads to the door and you know, Philip is still, it's just like the beginning of the movie. He is frozen in place. He's despondent. He is just immobile in the middle of the living room, realizing that everything seems to be collapsing in on him. Mm-hmm. So Even he's it still kind of seems like they're going to get away with it. Yeah, it still seems like nobody's fully grasped it. And Rupert puts on a hat, but it's way too small for him. And he... Yeah. Takes it off his head and he looks and it says DK in it. David Kentley. Hmm. Mm. And he's like, oh, well, that's not the right hat. And he gets the right one and he leaves looking very concerned. Like, that's not good. What's up with that? Did they kidnap him? That would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird. So with everyone but Mrs. Wilson gone, Brandon, he breathes a big sigh of relief. And like, ha ha. 
lights a cigarette. <laughs> Let's celebrate. We did it. We pulled it off. Uh, you know, Mrs. Wilson's still here, right? But Philip's like, I. why did you have to bring Rupert? He almost caught us. Did you not see that? And like, he was perfect. He allowed me to say everything I wanted to these idiots. <laughs> he, he set up all the things I wanted to expound about. Don't, don't you get it? <laughs> He's like the perfect uh, feeling superior to people partner. Yeah. And Philip starts yelling at him. And like, you, what was all that shit with the rope, you dickhead? <laughs> <laughs> and Brandon like grabs him and shakes him like, Dude, Mrs. Wilson is still here. Can you just hold it down for a few more minutes? Mrs. Wilson, of course, still minding her own business. She minds her own business perfectly. She's very good at her job. And Brandon is like, you know, he's Philip's pouring himself another drink. He's like, determined to get drunk, aren't you? He's like, I am drunk. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I am very drunk. You don't understand. And he basically starts calling Brandon out. Like, you are just a narcissist. You're a sociopath. There is nothing in you but just distaste for your fellow man. I I wish we hadn't done this. It's like, I'm scared to death, Brandon. I think we're going to get caught. No, no, no. Remember, we're just going to go and get rid of this body and everything will be fine. Yeah, Brandon does a full, yeah, no, we're not. Nah, that's not going to happen. We, we Didn't you see how perfectly we pulled this off? This was great. We did the hard part. You know, the, the hard part that I've made f- hard for myself on purpose. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we, we've done this. It's it's through. We're through. I, and he calls the garage, send my car around, and they get ready to move the body. It's like, oh, well, the- I guess we better draw the curtains and they... Close the curtains, and then the bell rings. The bell rings. Who is it, Brandon? (laughs) Well, Brandon is stacking the books on the chest, and Philip goes to answer it himself. Mm -hmm. And it's Rupert. Philip's like, he knows, he knows. (laughs) 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 He's like screaming across the room, like, he knows. And Brandon slaps him. (laughs) (laughs) Pull yourself together. Go talk to him. I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. Apparently you cannot. And he, he goes back and is like, I'm sorry. If, well, first he says to Philip, like, look, you just need to hold it together for five minutes. I promise you in five minutes he'll be gone and we can just go on with our evening and it'll be okay. And he starts preparing a pistol just in case. There's no bullets in there, is, it? is there, Brandon? And he shows us the bullets. Yeah, we see the bullets. It is flicked open in front of the camera and loaded. So he brings Rupert up, and Rupert very obviously plants a cigarette case behind the books, which we just saw Brandon put on top of the case, so they it obviously couldn't have been there before. Right. <laughs> like, he he isn't being very subtle about it, and Brandon realizes it, but Brandon is interested to see where he's going with it. Brandon is still kind of hoping that this can be a threesome. Yeah, yeah, senpai, you know... If he solves it, he'll notice how smart I am. Yeah. And Rupert's like, well, maybe I unconsciously left it because I wanted to come back. How and about Brandon's, a drink? Yeah. Well, Brandon's like, well, why would you want to do that? Because he's 
still it's it's an erotic game for him he's still playing it's like well why would you want to do that (laughs) but philip is so drunk he's so angry he's so stressed i love him through this portion of the movie because he's so done with the party (laughs) it's him being like yeah why why are you here why would you want to do that like yes why (laughs) and he he finds the case as Philip starts to prepare him a drink, he's like, oh, prepare him a drink, a, a long one. He's like, oh, <laughs> I think it's right, fine. And he finds it, so it's already there, and it's like, they have this sort of really tedious, polite back and forth about, well, are you are you sure it's okay? I have another drink. And Philip again, he's like, he said you could have it! <laughs> he said you could have it! I'm so over this, oh my god! <laughs> Maybe I'll just see you off, too, since you said you're already packed. Yeah, it's like, you, you can just carry on with whatever you guys are doing. It's like, no, we're we're all done. Everything's ready. We're ready to go already. We don't have any more stuff to do. It's like, oh, I see. Already. Except for one guest who must be gotten rid of. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> he's talking about himself, but he's also kind of yep. maybe insinuating that there is a guest that has to be physically gotten rid of who's in the chest. Although he hasn't fully gotten to that yet. He's still kind of hoping that that's not true, but he wants to see what saying, like, it's again, playing mind games. I'm just, just asking questions here. <laughs> <laughs> but Brandon's still totally cool with it. He's like, oh, no hurry. I was like, well, I would like to stay a bit. Maybe see you off. <laughs> Just stick around until you guys are leaving. How about that? <laughs> and the whole time, Brandon's got, like, he's got his hand in his pocket pretty conspicuously. Right. And he he's very obvious about it. And Philip is just so fucking unhinged at this point. He's like, well, I hate to leave the party. Especially when it's been stimulating, uh, strange. <laughs> and Philip's like, what do you mean, strange? <laughs> <laughs> See, this would have been the perfect place for him to be like, no, we're acting weird because we don't want them to find out about us. Oh, yeah. I see, that's what it is. Well, I'm just going to leave you two to your business. Right, but he's like, well, it's about David not showing up. Because, you know, he's very, uh, you know, punctual. I, I, you know, I remember the, as being a very uh, reliable kind of kid. It's like, oh, yes, it must have been broad daylight when it happened. It's like, well, what happened? And Brandon very obviously puts his hand in the pocket with the gun. It's like, mm-hmm. well, whatever did happen to David? Nothing, probably. <laughs> So he starts talking about Janet's theory of Brandon potentially kidnapping David. Because uh, he's like, well, I mean, that kind of tracks. That seems like the sort of shit you would have done when I was teaching you. For the oh. excitement, for the danger, for the experience. <laughs> oh, yeah? How would I have done it then? Like, what would you do if you were I? <laughs> well, if I was... Uh, if... If I was an arrogant, full-of-myself man, baby, I would... (laughs) Well, he sort of walks them through a parallel theory. He gives them the theory, and it's not far off. He's like, oh, well, then where would you put him? He's like, well, let me see. And the camera is lingering on the chest, but 
he doesn't say anything and he's just looking around and philip breaks of course philip just <laughs> he's he's been ready to break he throws his glass cat and mouse cat and mouse <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who's the cat and who's the mouse <laughs> philip needs to go to bed well yeah exactly <laughs> brandon's like philip's pretty drunk and he's not being a very good host it might be a good reason for you to leave maybe <laughs> unless you have some accusations to make of some sort and he he's like well i don't think for a moment you kidnapped david you know that's silly but i'm a bit worried about the gun that you're holding in your pocket uh, to uh as insurance that seems a little troubling oh 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 this no we're going into the mean streets of connecticut yeah there there have been a series of robberies up there my mother tells me and he takes it out you know he throws it on the piano it's like no it's a gun this is a hidden weapon i just happen to have it it's not trying to be intimidating or nothing just to prove my point i'll just get rid of the gun jeez yeah whatever uh and he uh Rupert, he very surreptitiously pulls the rope out of his pocket uh, while Brandon's laughing off the gun and doing his own. <laughs> no, you know, just because. But he's like, yeah, well, I, I figure driving up with you guys tonight might have this extra layer of suspense. You know, it might be kind of fun, you know, <laughs> you know, because of what's going on. And he turns and reveals that he's been playing with this rope and he has it stretched across both hands. And again, Philip loses his mind. <laughs> <laughs> he's got it. He knows. He knows. <laughs> he runs for the gun. So F- Rupert has to wrestle the gun away from him. Yep, it fires. He seems to get his hand hurt. I don't think it gets shot. I think it gets caught in the revolver. It could be because he did have that cut. Yeah, and he glass. has his hand right in there. But yeah. no, Rupert. Rupert gets cut. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, when he's wrestling the gun away, I think literally his his like the skin of his palm gets caught in the revolver chamber revolving and cuts. Oh, him. okay. Because it doesn't seem like he gets shot. Yeah, no, he he doesn't. And Rupert's, you know, he's like, Brandon, stop babbling excuses. I, the the only way we're going to clear this up, and I don't want to do it, but I have to do it, is I'm going to open this chest and just find out what's in there. There's no other way around this. Oh my god, it's a dead body. So this is the only other hidden cut that is not on Brandon. It's on the top of the chest when he throws right. it open. Oh, I didn't notice this one then. Oh, okay. So yeah, Brandon is like, well, it's it's you. It's your ideas, the, your theories of morality, which I thought were so brilliant. And Rupert's like, oh fuck, man. <laughs> wow, I have just had my words thrown back into my face, which I don't uh, like it. <laughs> you were right to do it though, and uh, you've basically taught me that my philosophy is bullshit. Yeah, you just fucking debunked all my shit. I am so mad at myself. Uh. Wow. And he starts doing one of his big Jimmy Stewart shaking. He's like, by what right do you say there's a superior few to which you belong? <laughs> no, no, I thought you'd understand. I thought you'd. Uh, this isn't working out at all, is it? This really didn't work. And he fires the gun out the window. 
so every you know finally opens up the window to let street noise in for the first time which is yeah. kind of cool and street lights we can see like this is another thing that made me think it was from the 60s like the colored lights from the neon signs the gels, yeah. into the room yeah it's beautiful right because there's also those side windows where you have some big giant department store letters like there's a bit letter s in one window which is mm-hmm. uh, flashing red sometimes so cool yeah <laughs> but yeah you know he brings the attention up there you know people start calling the police and getting things up there and the camera very slowly pulls back uh from the window to just well while just the sound of new york city just fills the previously quiet and isolated apartment and philip just says they're coming and sits down to play the piano yeah i love this last shot we've got philip playing the piano we've got uh, rupert sitting with the gun with his arm over the chest and brandon just having a drink yep just drinking it's like well <laughs> this didn't work out brandon broke i should have known <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe i shouldn't have called rupert after all it would have been the perfect crime otherwise it might have been might have been Maybe you shouldn't have had a fucking dinner party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole thing was ill-conceived. Yeah, I mean, it, but it wasn't about the murder. It was about getting the getting away with of the murder. In It was, yeah, it's the kicks. It was the danger. Yeah, yeah. He's like, are you getting off right now? I'm so getting off, but I'm not getting off. I don't understand. It's it's like D and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, D and Dennis in, in the one where he uh, does the corporate raiding. Oh, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty great movie. Very ahead of its time. Very experimental. You know, the, just doing it all in one shot. Super fucking crazy ambitious. Like, why not? Let's just... We'll learn how to use these color cameras for the first time. We'll do the movie all in one take. It'll be cool. With the Volkswagen. So that makes that actually makes this more impressive than Birdman because with Birdman you had like it was what, 2014, 2015, you had like uh, your handheld cameras. I believe it used digital video cameras, which are very handheld. They're very portable. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, it's much more easy to do this sort of thing in this day and age. And while the cuts are obviously, you can very easily see them. You, you if you're looking them for them, you yeah. will find them. But at the same time, the the beauty of this movie is that it doesn't necessarily feel like you're watching all one shot. You can forget because you get caught up in just the story, the drama. You forget you're watching just all one shot. And then you have those long lingering shots where it's very POV with like Mrs. Wilson dismantling the chest, which is like, oh, man, we are watching just this shot play out. And it's <laughs> intense. It, yeah, it's really good pretty fucking cool movie hitchcock Uh, hasn't missed yet it's true it's true this is the third one we've covered and i think just the fourth one you've seen uh the fourth one i've seen yeah we because we watched um, the birds we watched the birds which we haven't covered yeah yeah so the next one in this set is one of my absolute favorites uh the rear window which talked about a little bit earlier that's jimmy stewart as well Jimmy Stewart, uh, he breaks his leg and he's up in this apartment. There's this beautiful woman who is so obviously into him and he just it's completely going over his head. Uh, Again, we're playing with some queer theming uh, and he just he's he's looking. He's spying on all his neighbors because he can't go out. He 
he's stuck indoors again it's probably going to be one that hits different post-pandemic hmm it would wouldn't it <laughs> and one of his neighbors is uh fucking perry mason uh what's his name uh, raymond burr oh cool and he sees him doing some suspicious shit and he starts to suspect that he killed his wife and maybe buried her in the courtyard this so is the fucking simpsons pool it episode. is completely yeah it oh. is that one all of that is directly from rear window oh that weird simpson boy's looking at me again <laughs> oh it's that weird kid again yeah that's him that's completely him doing that oh man awesome yeah uh, and it's Arguably my favorite Hitchcock, it would be that or Vertigo, depending maybe just on how recently I've watched one or the other. Probably <laughs> Vertigo would be the very best one. But like, for instance, when I added it to the stacks and did a quick shuffle to see what the highest rated and most popular movies were uh, currently on the stacks, uh, it was Rear Window for both of them. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> most popular and most highly rated. OK. So, yeah, you know, just a fucking great movie. Cool, cool. So any last thoughts on Rope before we head on to our second picture? Um, yeah, ultimately, don't bring a gun to a rope fight because Jimmy Stewart will take it away from you and he'll just ruin the whole thing. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's like uh, bringing any sort of weapon to a ladder fight with Jackie Chan. Oh, ooh, <laughs> he'll, he'll t- you're going to get hit with that weapon, whatever you brought. All right. Uh, so on to part two. And we are back for part two, where we're talking about Danny Boyle's Train Spotting, a huge fucking landmark UK film in the 90s, uh, extremely influential. Not to be confused with Stations of the Elevated, which is a movie about spotting trains. Yeah, this one, there's very little trains in it. You know, you, you got I did that one spot show. one. There's one. They, they uh, do that one scene. Well, there's, so, there's one train that shows up and then there's... A lot of, well, we'll get yeah. to it. Like, the, the idea is uh, train spotting. It, it's it's a distinctly British thing of just, it, it is a thing that people do where they just go out and look at trains and they know everything about trains and they know all of the specific details about different trains and all of their, you know, the engines shit. I don't know anything about oh. trains. <laughs> this is the Earth is Hell train. It runs on a Type 12, 50,000 yeah. engine. I I. That's not a thing. Oh, my yeah, God. But, yeah, but that, that sort of shit. Uh, there there are people who are just, like, deeply invested in that, and that's sort of uh, the reference, because this is, you know, while it is a movie that features heroin addiction, it's not about heroin addiction. It's about how life sober is really boring, and people just have to find things to fill their time with and their life with. So some people just turn to drugs, and that's what they do. Yeah, and... And the reason why they turn it why they turn to drugs is because drugs are fun. Why he, he even yeah. says it? Why else would we do it? Yeah, drugs are a really good time. That's the most revolutionary thing about this movie is that it's like, yeah, drugs are really fun. They're super destructive and they will completely destroy your life if you're into heroin. That's not a good drug to be on. Uh, but you know, when you're doing it, it seems like a great time. Oh, a, a great time at the time. <clears throat> It's not like reefer madness where you see people <laughs> smoke the reefers and then they have just crazy, angry, laughing parties where it's just like, I have never had a weed experience anything close to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I can't remember if I've seen Reefer Madness or not. Another parallel that uh, it's one of those classic ones. It's terrible. Like it's just fucking <laughs> dreadful. Uh, another parallel that I was thinking of as I was watching this is just how much Requiem for a Dream took mm. stole from this. Uh, yeah. Particularly, I I was reminded of like the cooking up the heroin scenes. Right. Not yeah. exactly the same, but there's there's it's quite a bit in, in there. I, I would say uh, Aronofsky certainly was influenced by it in terms of the way it's edited, the way it's cut, uh, and just the the dramatic reality of it. That just the the visceral despair it's just this movie stays fun Requiem yeah. for a dream is sorrowful uh oh, yeah. it, i was in a very bad place uh, emotionally in the early aughts and i must have watched that movie like 20 or 30 times which isn't it's not good for you yeah no i watched <laughs> that movie more not 20 or 30 times but more than i should have and yeah the amount i, I should have was once yeah for for most people it's a one and done sort of movie uh it, it definitely is a, a symptom of not being super well that i watched that movie a whole bunch of times and was fascinated by it. i've read the book that it's based on too uh as a matter of fact i've read the book this is based on that train spotting's based on uh now this one feels like it's based on a book yeah it's and it's a it's not a book that's a narrative it's a book that's just a bunch of short stories <laughs> that's kind of what this movie feels like um yeah there was like, a lot of more. They had they cut a whole bunch of stuff to get it down to 90 minutes because they were like, we want this to be fun and really fast, and it has to be 90 minutes. Hmm. Well, got 93. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and and they're right. Like it it just it flies by. Even it really does. It's yeah. Bleak at times. They, like it goes through some brutal stuff. Uh, the soundtrack is a lot of fun. God, the soundtrack is, it's maybe one of the best soundtracks of all time. Uh, I would put it in certainly one of the top 10 for sure. The only one I, for a bad movie, but Judgment Night, that soundtrack fucking rules. (laughs) I don't think I know that one. It's uh, not a great movie, but just (laughs) some dudes who I think they're coming home from a football game. And their RV breaks down in a bad neighborhood, and they get beset by a gang, gang violence, the gang violence epidemic in the 90s. But the soundtrack was all hip-hop artists paired with rock or metal artists before rap rock was a thing that existed. So it's really inventive combinations of people. You got, like, De La Soul with Teenage Fan Club, who are just, like, a cool... uh, 90s power pop band you've got sonic youth with del the funky homo sapien Fucking oh roll. man i i want this <laughs> album <laughs> it, so good so good so that one is great but this is fucking amazing and the soundtrack is so integral to this movie yeah um that's actually i have two problems with not the movie itself but this particular disc, release of the movie yeah so we, we, we're watching the Alliance Atlantis disc, and I think this is just the case with all the main current releases of it, sadly. Hmm. Uh, this So the issue with this disc is the sound is mixed lower, too low. The music is mixed way or, too yes, low. Yes, the music is mixed too low. Um, Especially in that scene where they're in the club and they're supposed to be shouting over the music and it's comically nowhere near where they're yelling over. There is, though I found on the second time watching it, 
two different uh, English tracks. One of them has the music mixed slightly higher. Okay. Still not high enough, but the, the club scene with the shouting is yeah. less ridiculous. Okay. I'll have to listen to it the other way next time. The other problem I have with this disc, there are no English subtitles. <laughs> These really? guys are Scottish. Oh, yeah. It is really hard. I, I didn't happen to turn them on because I've seen this movie so many times that I'm really familiar. With. I've read the book and it's written in Scots dialect. Oh, so like, would... <laughs> the whole book is written like you're reading Scottish Twitter. Like It really does read that way. Uh, it <laughs> reads the way Spud talks. So I'm really familiar with this. Like I, I have done an education with it. I read not only that, but two other Irvine Welsh novels when I was oh. in my teens. I just got really deep into like I loved this movie when I saw it. Uh, new release on VHS because I was too young to see it in theaters. <laughs> Immediately I, I, in love with it. Uh, I got the books. Uh, I also I remember being so stoked when Owen McGregor did uh, an episode of ER in like season one or two because I was a huge fan of him from this. How did you <laughs> feel when he uh, was in Star Wars? Star Wars. Uh, I mean, I was. That was a. It's like a That's couple a years, years later, later, maybe. Um, I mean, I didn't like that movie at the well, time. Well, no, it's it's not good. I saw it in yeah, I, went, I like I remember going to see it and being excited about it and seeing oh, sure. it and thinking like it was pretty good, and then not thinking about it much, and then it came out on DVD and watching it's like I don't think this is very good, and then you know I watched the making of disc and was like hey maybe it is good and watched it again and was like no, no, <laughs> but uh. Ewan McGregor on ER, he played a guy who got his sister pregnant. It was kind of him playing a Renton-esque character. <laughs> uh, Star Wars was my first time ever seeing anything with Ewan McGregor. Okay. Uh, that, this, was, that was where this I knew was him my from. Movie. Oh, mm. This was the one. Uh, and yeah, I've just always been a fan because of this. And it was certainly weird to see him in Star Wars after knowing him primarily from this. <laughs> You know, yeah, it would be. Yeah, <laughs> choose the force, different. choose the light side, <laughs> choose not to murder babies. Well, oh, and, hmm. like he is Baby one of the things. Death. I mean, he's yeah. I mean, it's it's all there, but uh, he's one of the better elements of those because he's obviously having such a good time being in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's having fun. And yeah. like, if you watch it, he's enjoying making the movie, even if the movie around him is very bad at times. <laughs> yeah, that's good, at least. Um, yeah, I mean, so... sorry to anyone who is now like I, there, there's a whole prequel apologist wave and people are very political about their Star Wars. It's uh, just it's, really I, I don't I'm not a hater. I, I it just they're so boring and they're so uh, tedious. <laughs> I just don't enjoy them. Do I don't see the fun. Sand? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, they're tedious and, like, they have the most childish humor, and it's just a weird mix where it's supposed to be for children, but it's so boring most of the time. Why would a child enjoy it? Like, I do. I would not have enjoyed this as a child. I like boring <laughs> shit. Mommy, mommy, I want to see the movie about uh, the trade agreements well, and yeah, the and union dispute. And, like, if I was into that, I'd feel insulted by the rest of it. This is why I liked Star Trek as a kid. I liked Star Trek the motion picture. That was my vibe. 
So I could take slow, but I wouldn't like shit that insulted my intelligence the way much of that does. Anyway, we're getting way off track. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. spotting. So you and McGregor, you were McGregor, that guy. You and Mark Renton. You and Mark Renton. That's it. He plays, well, Mark Renton. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rent boy. He is our narrator. um, And we open with him basically talking about his philosophy on heroin choose life choose this choose that choose your job choose your nine to five i choose not to do any of that yeah i chose not to choose life i chose something else uh (laughs) and he he says the thing about how i you don't have to make choices when you have heroin (laughs) yep uh and and as he's doing this we've got a montage of him uh him like running him and his buddies running from the cops were slowly introduced to each of his buddies who are all going to be very important. And they're all scumbags. They're all, all scumbags. They're all different kinds of scumbags, which is interesting. Spud is kind of a lovable scumbag. He's just a drunk. Yeah. Tommy didn't really deserve what happened to him either. Yeah. Tommy really got fucked by this. He was just like the regular friend who got pulled into the vortex. Uh, But he's not really involved in this. He's sort of supposed to be outside of their orbit, I guess. Yeah, but he's a mate. So what can you do? Actually, no, that's the word for, uh, for Begby. Begby should not be their friend. Well, Sick Boy really sucks, too. To be fair, Sick Boy's a real piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the most piece of shit, just as a personality. I mean, Begbie is unwell. Begbie is a psychopath. Begbie has, like, severe anger issues. Yeah. (laughs) He's really upset that the headlines say he he did an armed robbery when there was... It's a fake gun, so it can't be armed robbery. That's bullshit. Yeah, that's not fair. (laughs) So, yeah, he will use fucking violent force, as we've seen. Oh, yeah. I mean, he that knife of his gets a lot of play. Yeah. And if he just has a fucking beer glass in his hand, he can commit an armed robbery. Oh, sure. Uh, In fact, that's that's what his actual introduction a bit later on kind of is. Yeah, he does some violence with beer glasses in this movie a few times. Uh, a few other things in this movie. Uh, poop jokes. Uh, not yeah. your traditional immature ones, but like the two best poop jokes that the, I've ever seen. The worst toilet in Scotland sequence is justifiably legendary. Like, oh, yeah. I think one of the posters is him climbing out of the toilet. <laughs> if I recall correctly, there is a poster that's just, yeah. Ewan McGregor's torso coming out of that toilet. Impossibly small and impossibly disgusting. Yeah. Um, and also, there is infant death in this, and we are going to discuss it. So oh, yeah. just a heads up to anyone. This is in the movie. We're going to talk about it. I mean, again, famously in the movie, one of the most famous images in the movie is the baby on the roof. Uh, just Yeah, a very creepy image and extremely well done. Haunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the image of the baby when it died is... I didn't think they were going to show us. Oh, yeah. It's it's very gruesome. Uh, it, it's it's a movie that just... It really rapidly ping-pongs you from one thing to another. Like, it's not afraid to have tonal whiplash. Mm-hmm. So, 
it's actually going to be kind of tough to go through this in sequential order because mm-hmm. the narration will be doing one thing while the action is doing something else. But we do, are introduced to uh, Mother Superior's place, their their dealer, I guess, their crack den. Right, because uh, he he he's uh, had a habit longer than any of the any of the rest of them. He has to get it injected into his uh, his dick because there's nowhere else that has veins that aren't fucked by the heroin. Yeah, and I mean the the idea is like he is unbelievably old for a heroin addict for someone who's been on heroin for a long time because it's uh, not uh, a surviving life. It's not something you do and then live to continue doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's um, kind of a special anomaly, and he quote-unquote takes care of them he sort of does he he does the the basic stuff he has to do and uh you know he'll haul you out to the curb and send a send you in a taxi to the hospital if you overdose yep yep he'll make sure you get away from him so he's not incriminated yeah uh yeah so we don't really meet any of the girls they don't have like an introduction screen all of these, most of these guys have girlfriends somehow. Well, it's also sort of unclear whose girlfriend they are. Uh, these Allison, girls, yeah. Yeah, Allison, who, I mean, even when she's the mother of uh, the infant, uh, yeah. and everybody knows that, you know, it's it's her, her child, Dawn, but they don't know whose it is until it dies, and it's who reacts the most. Yeah, so when this infant is crawling around this cracked den, I thought it was hilarious just because he doesn't look that unhealthy. He's just wandering around playing uh, in the background. Nobody ever uh, talks to or acknowledges or interacts with this infant, which might be the problem. Yeah, well, it's it's exactly the problem for me. I mean, I, I already, uh, you know, I, I saw this movie when it was new, so obviously, but you know, seeing the infant, it's like seeing the puppy next to the uh, cursed pregnant belly of the evil, uh, the evil council of wives in uh, <laughs> that uh, that Hong Kong movie I watched last week. Oh, what? Oh, I told I you about that ta- one. Oh, yeah. No, that, right. that was last week. That, that was in the ones oh, okay. we talked about last week. It was the, the demon's baby. Right, right, right. Okay. Poor little... Uh, cute uh, golden retriever pup uh, that gets uh, eaten by a pregnant lady. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's just this in the background we'll, we'll just see this baby every every so often until well, until we won't because I know even though it's hilarious to see a well-looked after baby, you just know it's setting up something awful. Oh yeah, you know, it's it's a very bad thing to see a baby crawling around a bunch of people who are passed out. Uh, with needles in their arms of heroin uh, in a very dingy and uh, troubling place. Like, there's some baby toys around, but you know that this baby <laughs> is not getting any sort of proper nutrition or attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Renton just out of nowhere decides... Well, first he tells us the worst, the only drawback to heroin, or at least the biggest drawback is having to hear all his clean friends say, oh, I wouldn't poison my body with that shite. <laughs> oh, yeah. my son. Begbie especially. Yeah, Begbie and Tommy are the clean ones. Tommy is the nice guy. Begbie, the psycho, who's 
he, he's clean, but he uses that. He's a drunk. Superior. Yeah, he's yeah. a drunk. He's an it, alcoholic yeah. for sure. He just. Yeah, he he completely just has a different drug of choice. Whereas mm-hmm. Tommy is legitimately clean. He's a he's an athlete. He has a girlfriend. He's doing pretty well. He has a nice place. Lots of VHS tapes. Oh yeah, um, lots of sports tapes. Sports tapes. <laughs> <laughs> um, sick boy, fucking sucks. Johnny Lee Miller. Peak Johnny Lee Miller. Uh, yeah, uh, Sick Boy is just a total fucking asshole who's wrong about everything. Well, like, he he's like, he's always pontificating about music and movies, and his opinions are so fucking wrong. He's <laughs> like, he's like a fucking troll. Pussy galore, who in fact is anything but. It's like, she has pussy galore. It's not for you, it's for her. She, you know, she has her lesbian flying team. That's that's for her, not for you, sick boy. I don't think I... Which movie was she even in? I don't remember. That's Goldfinger. Oh, right, right, right. She's the pilot who does the Goldfinger yeah, crazy scheme. She, she fucking rules. <laughs> and he, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, she's he's awesome. arguing that, like, no, Pussy Galore's no good. Ursula Andress is no good. Like, you're way wrong, dude. Get real. But Thunderball, as proven by the box office, was the best one. <laughs> Thunderball's boring. <laughs> it's one of the ones I never saw. Boring. Uh, also, the <laughs> remake, Never Say Never Again, meh. Uh, yeah. They made it twice. <laughs> Both times with Sean Connery. Sean Connery came back to do it again in the 80s. <laughs> so Renton, out of nowhere, seemingly, uh, just decides, all right, that's it. I'm done with this shit. Never again. I'm off. I'm getting clean from heroin. And Swanee, the mother superior, is like, uh-huh. Sure, yeah, seems very likely. <laughs> and of course, Sick Boy decides to do it at the same time just to spite him. Sick Boy's kind of a Brandon. Yeah, Sick Boy kind of stinks. <laughs> He's yeah. a little stinker. yeah. Yeah, his whole thing is like, oh, it's easy for me to get off heroin, so I'll just up and do it at the same time as you, therefore invalidating your whole struggle. I'll do it to mock you, and uh, I'll just we'll both be miserable together. <laughs> but Renton is going to use the sick boy method of getting clean, though, which involves a, sh- a big grocery list, a room that you've boarded up. Um, like, like straight up boards and nails uh, on the door so you can't get out. Yeah. Uh, all this stuff. Lots uh, of soup. Lots yeah, of cans of soup. of soup that you're going to uh, eat raw. Oh, I think he's like uh, mushroom soup, three cans to be eaten raw. Like, oh, my God. Would not keep that down. Not a chance. I've done it. I hate mushroom soup. Oh, I love mushroom soup. Oh, I man. hate it so much. I'm not much of a soup person, to be fair. I'm generally not, but mushroom soup works for me. I like some tomato soup, but mushroom soup. It's weird. I like mushrooms, but I'm very picky about cooked mushrooms in stuff. Oh, well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, he's going off about his grocery list and about all the steps that he needs to do in this room with his TV uh, to get clean. But first he just needs one more one hit, more hit. To just, just to get him on the right foot. Yeah. Just to get him on the right foot. So we smash cut to the boards broken on the floor. 
Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's caught- broken out. He's like, I didn't do this in the right order. I gotta go get a hit. But <laughs> I can't remember who is it he goes to. Is it Mike still- something? Yeah, this other dealer he has who's a weirdo and an idiot, and he has suppositories. Opium suppositories. <laughs> well, you see, it's going to release slowly so that it um, it will have your desired effect. You don't want the hit all at once because that's not going to help you get clean. Uh, sure, you know, he's sure. thinking about his customer, but also he's not thinking about his customer because this guy is this guy has quit heroin a few times and he's going to yeah. quit it a few more times. And he knows the score. But yeah, he he takes the suppository, uh, (laughs) administers it right then and there, because, you know, it's all he's got right now. Yeah, he sticks him up his butt right there, and the guy's like, fuck you, you suck. This is not what I wanted at all, but fine, I will do it. And then, of course, he's coming off of heroin, and uh, heroin gives you constipation now that he is not on it. Uh, He really has to go. He, I love the way he says it. He's like, I was no longer constipated. Mm-hmm. So uh, have you ever had a situation where you're just not somewhere convenient and you have to go so bad that it just anywhere will do? Oh, have you ever had yes. that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think uh, this is an extremely relatable struggle. But yeah, he is in. Uh, the worst toilet in Scotland. It's it's an excellent graphic where it stops on the door that says toilet and the words the worst and in Scotland appear around toilet. And ooh, it is gross. Now, it is gross, but it's not so gross that it's in the realm of... Or, sorry, it is gross. It is... I'm sorry. It's, it's tremendously not so gross. Fantra- it's just not fantastically gross. I have seen toilets... That while not as bad as this one, I've seen toilets that convince me that this one's real. Yeah, I've seen some pretty gross shit because, like, I worked in a McDonald's for six Mm. years. Uh, I remember cleaning up something where someone, I don't know what they ate. I'm going to say grass and a whole lot (laughs) of it and then threw it up all over the sinks and mirrors. And it was just like green gunk thrown up and vomit. Oh, it's Everywhere. not supposed to be green all over the place it was i mean you know uh, <laughs> i've seen was... some stuff so you know i i understand i agree yeah this mine, one's gross <laughs> this one is gross mine was uh we were this was on our trip to uh disney world disneyland mm. rather uh i don't know what state it was in but we pulled over to the side of the road because we really had to go and we found what i would call possibly the worst toilet in that state uh (laughs) there was like an inch of water on the floor uh it was just like we we did what we had to do in there and then when we got out i noticed a lot of janitors who were all wearing orange jumpsuits oh the prison crew yeah that's when i started to learn that uh, legalized slavery was still a thing oh yeah it's still going it's still go- still going today. Uh, so, yeah, that toilet makes me believe that this toilet is probably exists somewhere. Oh, yeah, this is not unrealistically disgusting. And that's what's great about it. It is authentically gross. It looks like a really fucking nasty toilet that you could indeed stumble into and just, you know, any port in a storm. But 
the the beautiful lyricism of the moment where he dives into the toilet to retrieve the suppositories. Yes, like it's it's just so gradual. He like reaches his hand and I'm, and I'm like, oh, he's not gonna do it, is he? Of course he is. <laughs> he reaches his hand in and then he sticks his head in and then he literally dives into the toilet uh, and we've got this dream it's sequence of beautiful him. and clear and blue. Yeah, and this when he sparkly finds, perfect oasis and his uh, suppositories are like three times the size and they're sparkling so we can find him easily. <laughs> yeah, it's this beautiful magical realist sequence and he swims down there and he, he pulls them out and when he I, for me the grossest thing about it is when he gets to he 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 swims back out he lifts his hand out with the suppositories and he throws them on that disgusting floor oh, before he climbs out so he can put them back in his butt after it's like oh don't put them on like, hold on to them or something you can get out just using your fist Ugh. floor that's covered with gray sludge it's so gross oh my god <laughs> this the construction that went into this bathroom like the the, the attention to detail uh. it's so cool just to see him coming out of the toilet where you can obviously see it's not big enough to hold him that mm -hmm. like his torso <laughs> could not be in it but it's it's this great magic trick that it just looks you know they, they've done the they, they've they've built it in such a way that it looks realistic and yeah, it's just fucking cool. The the casual surrealism of this movie at times. Like the thing with the grass later, uh, the when he, he sinks into the carpet. Oh yeah, the carpet scene. Mm -hmm. Um of course the the baby scene is the another baby, one. Yeah, that one's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. Well that whole and his cold turkey flashback sequence, which is sort of the other the key thing with the baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the baby's just part of a whole huge, horrifying sequence. But sometimes very funny. It it does that whiplash thing. It it goes in between stuff because there's also the 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 game show that the parents are watching, or that in his dream the parents are actually appearing on. The game show that all just appears to be questions about AIDS. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, it's on his mind. For mm -hmm. reasons. For reasons. Well, for reasons, he's sharing a bunch of needles doing heroin in the 90s. The 90s. Well, that is sort of a problem of it that uh, the they should know better. And I, it sort of works in that, yeah, I mean, everybody should know better. They keep doing it anyways. But it it's not something they ever think about where it seems like they should. They seem to be blindsided by it. It's because the book was written in the 80s and it was, yeah. you know, it was about it, those experiences then and they just didn't decide to do it as a period film yeah i don't know if it would have worked as a period uh, probably yeah, probably whatever, we got a good one the music is so perfect for this version and true. it's very 90s true true it is 90s as fuck it's so fucking good <laughs> uh, so sick boy and renton are in a park with a sniper rifle for some reason as <laughs> it's like a bb gun Oh, I, I didn't realize that's what it was. I thought he was shooting, like, darts or something. I'm pretty sure it's a BB gun. Because, yeah, he shoots the skinhead's dog. There's a, mm. there's a skinhead with a big, like... 
like a not bulldog, a pit bull, right? like a, a bulldog. Yeah, and uh, he he shoots it in the butt so it bites the guy's testicles. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's going off about his unifying theory, which is essentially uh, we get old, we cannot hack it, and that's it. Yeah, that's, he's like that's, that's it. it. That's that's your theory. Yeah, it's yeah. just like okay so yeah you get old and die that's that's your whole thing and he again being completely wrong says how yeah i mean you know lou reed's solo career is all bad and like are you fucking kidding me lou reed has so many incredible solo albums new york that album fucking rules see if He's i knew about music I, <laughs> I would probably know how that's wrong i knew enough about bonds <laughs> to know that it's Yay. mostly wrong <laughs> so inaccurate although he uh, is right that goldfinger is better than dr no Oh, I totally agree on that. Goldfinger is an improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, he shoots the dog. Or it's Renton who shoots the dog, actually. Oh, right. Renton takes over. Because they're, they're, this is how they're dealing with not being on heroin. you you got to find something else to fill your time with. Yeah, because you can't just go over to Mother Superior's and like fall backwards and hit your head on the floor. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to find <laughs> something else to do. And you, like, it's... As he'll later explain, it's not just that d- the doing of drugs, it's the a whole lifestyle associated with the doing of drugs. You have to really work hard to be this relaxed. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the other things he's doing to fill time is helping <laughs> hanging out with his friends while sober, which he doesn't seem to enjoy. Uh, he's helping spud ace his job interview and by ace it means fail it just enough that it still looks like he's trying but you don't want to try too hard or you might get the job right you know you you want to stay on uh the dole but uh you you got to convincingly do it and so what would they give him meth or speed speed they give him (laughs) some speed and oh i love the job interview I love Spud. Spud is very lovable. He is a fool, but he is the most innocent fool of the bunch. <laughs> this, this is like the perfect way to blow a job interview the way he does it. He just starts going off and off and I can't understand a word he's, he's saying. He's so excited and he <laughs> like he is the one with the most heavy uh, Scottish accent and it's just the thickest and he, he when he's speaking loud and he's very fast about it, like it is incoherent and he is just having too much fun. And they're like, Oh, okay. Okay. And he comes and shakes everyone's hands. Congratulatory. Like, <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah. I love the bit where he's like, where they ask him like, well, what are your weaknesses? Oh, I don't really have any. Oh, Oh wait. Yes. Actually I'm too much of a perfectionist. Yeah. That's it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the the classic line, too much perfectionist, is it? Yeah, very good. <laughs> he kisses the lady on the cheek. <laughs> we'll call you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do I you feel, say? I feel so bad for Spud because, like, he literally shits the bed later. Yeah. But he fucked up good and proper this time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have... Begbie and Tommy's intro kind of playing side by side. Begbie's yeah, another one I can't understand. How... Pardon? Begbie is another one I can't understand. Oh yeah, Begbie just sucks. 
Uh, it's clear, like, they all just grew up together and they all happen to drink together. They've taken different paths, but, I mean, you know, are you going to fucking meet new people? I don't think so. Who are you fucking this place? Come on. Yeah, well, that's what they always say about Begbie to justify why they hang out with him, even though he's a freaking raging psychopath who's going to get them all killed one day. Well, he's a mate, so what can you do? Yeah, I mean, you just know him. They, they've <laughs> They've known him for some time. That's all. Yeah, so he's telling this story that I cannot understand a word he's saying, except he says, oh, right on, Gunt. <laughs> like just, yeah. Right on, Gunt. Yeah, he's saying about there there was someone who was giving him the eye while he was playing pool and it messed up his shot. So he, you know, in a rage, he went and like dealt him his business. Yep, and as he's telling the story, he finishes his beer, and they're on like a balcony in this bar, or like a mezzanine or whatever, and he just tosses the beer glass behind his shoulder, and we freeze frame, and it's like, Rent is like, well, I got the truth from Tommy, because you always get the truth from Tommy. Yeah, because Tommy was the the guy he was playing pool with. Yeah. And of course, it was just some dude, some poor innocent bystander, who are usually the, the target of Begbie's rage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so mad. Like Tommy was trying to let him win, but Begbie just sucked so much that he couldn't. Yeah, he's just not good at it. Uh, well, and, Tommy just like magically sinks these impossible shots that he th- thinks he's gonna miss. He intentionally misses, and then like it goes all the way around and hits it, and he gets it. And then there's just this dude at the bar with the bag of chips. Yeah, just, crisps, I should say. Crisps, yes, yes. Chips crisps. are French fries. You're right. They do show up, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He just blamed him for his ridiculously bad pool game. But, of course, he pulls out the knife because he always pulls out the knife. Yeah, he just comes and fucking attacks and stomps this poor dude who was opening some chips, some crisps, excuse me. Uh, and, you know, it's it's just typical Begbie behavior. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, that tracks. That definitely, that sounds right. Renton describes him as he doesn't do drugs, he does people. Yeah, he's just a fucking angry dude who uh, is full of rage because, you know, he's not who he wants to be. So as Tommy's telling the actual version of the story, we see Renton going through his uh, VHS collection and (laughs) this fucker. uh, He finds the sex tape. He it's obviously sex a sex tape. tape. They did not it's hide it well. It's just like got their name on Lizzie it. Tommy and Lizzie volume one. Volume one. He's like, oh. Ho, ho, ho. And he uh, puts it, he switches it into a uh, soccer, like the 100 greatest goals tape. Yeah. And he's like, hey, can I borrow this? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah, why not? Uh, so, yeah, he's he borrows the sex tape and watches it later. Yeah. And this, like, destroys Tommy's life. This ruins Tommy's life. Like, this uh, literally kills Tommy. <laughs> it, yeah, it is what kills Tommy. Renton basically killed Tommy because of this. This is just, like, the first domino. Uh, and, like, Renton is not intentionally malicious, but he's so oh. casually malicious that he leaves just destruction in his wake. And that's sort of just the thing with all of them. They, they're they all wasteoids, except for Tommy, who is just collateral damage. <laughs> And after he switches the tape, we catch back up with our freeze frame of uh, Begbie. The glass falls, lands on a woman, cuts her up real badly, and then he comes down and he's like, all right, nobody's leaving here until we find out who did this. And this guy's like, who the fuck are you? 
he, that's his cue to rage out. Yeah, you know, he throws shit. You know, oh, no, until we find out what cunt done this. And then he just immediately starts fighting. That was really just an excuse to start a battle. Yeah, we get uh, we get the scene in the club next where they're uh, where it's where they're t- not loud enough, where it's not loud enough. So the whole point of this scene, the reason why it's funny is because, well, there's a few reasons, but because this one actually has subtitles so we could hear what they're saying because it's Spud and Rent and Spud can't. Spud, yeah, Spud being the most difficult to understand, especially when he's speaking really loudly. And so it's them speaking over the very loud club music, which is not nearly loud enough in on the discs that are out for some reason. Yeah, or Spud and Tommy. I, I'm sorry, that's who it is, because Tommy's talking yeah. about his relationship issues because he accidentally bought Iggy Pop tickets on his girlfriend's birthday. And it's like, well, and you it's got her Iggy Pop, but he's like, I'm, I, mean, I bought I gotta the tickets. Go to the, yeah, I have the tickets. Got to go to that Iggy Pop show. Yeah, well, and of course, not even we, alive. <laughs> I love that part. We, he's we, alive we today, isn't he? Iggy Pop? Yeah, he's still around. Cool. Uh, I, I hear not, maybe not super well, but uh, oh, well, uh, he's he, pretty old. He's another guy, and it's just kind of amazing that he's still alive with just how much he punished himself over the years. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Uh, Notably, like this is a movie that sort of revived Iggy Pop's career because Lust for Life used in the opening sequence when we have that opening montage with them running is just iconic and was oh, on the soundtrack was... and was just huge. Oh, that was Iggy Pop. Lust for Life. Great fucking song. Mm-hmm. Of course, I had it in the ear before. <laughs> Lust for Life. Oh, I know that song, of course. Yes, yes. The song rules. Fucking incredible. Oh, I didn't know that's what he was saying. I'm terrible with lyrics <laughs> for songs. I <laughs> I listened to this soundtrack a billion times. This is just one of the all-time great soundtracks, and I <laughs> had it when I was a kid, and I've listened to it over and over and over again. Uh, meanwhile, the girls are talking about their versions of the story, which is basically pretty much the same thing. Uh, Spud's girlfriend is denying him sex for... I didn't catch a month, why. I think, just just for reasons, just to see, see what it'll do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whereas uh, Lizzie, Tommy's girlfriend, is like, I couldn't do that. That's like the only pleasure I get. It's my favorite thing about him. <laughs> Renton is the, the only one without a girl. Yeah. And he's trying he's to find so one. He's so horny because he's just off heroin and yeah. heroin kills your sex drive. Now that he's off heroin, he's super horny. And he finds this, well, he finds a lot of girls who just kind of look at him and like, Mm-mm. Yeah, I do really like the montage of rejections. It's like, I don't know, dude. Yeah, just him dancing next to them and they just turn, pointedly turn away from him. Yeah. But then there's Diane. Diane. She handles a creep, she handles a creepazoid rather well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we don't know that he's a creepazoid, although I guess he because we don't hear them. But, you know, considering who Diane is, he'd have he, to be a creepazoid. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's it's unclear. She looks older than she seems to than she actually is intentionally. So she's playing up her uh, uh, sophisticated, uh, you know, she, she's playing a college girl, but she is a schoolgirl. She's in high school. Yep, As, the reveal of that is uh, quite a thing. 
the reveal is so good. But uh, yeah, first, you know, she because she is a high school girl, she is willing to be taken into Renton's uh, sphere of bullshit. She doesn't quite have enough of a bullshit detector to uh, turn away from him like everybody else does. He's a little bit more on her level. He hasn't grown up past this point. Yeah. So when he first talks to her, it seems like she's got his number because from whatever thing we've seen so far, it seems like this is the kind of guy that Renton is. It's like, and but if I only get to know you, I'll find that you're just a sweet, loving, misunderstood, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And don't all us girls just love that? Turns out she doesn't have him picked at all, actually. He's uh, no, he's not, not a, a good guy. Dude. No, he he's he's just as scummy as all of them. But uh, they they go back and they have the the sex scene montage with the failed sex scenes of the other two who have girlfriends is so incredible because yeah. personally he ruined one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Spuds just too passed Spud out for sex. Out. <laughs> I love how his girlfriend is like Spud, sex casual sex she's, she's been holding back for all this time and then she, very unfairly she she pulls back the covers to take a look at his dick and he's like yeah not not a big loss and like i i gotta say <laughs> it's it's impressive it's a good one <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> Not uh, not unimpressive, I would say. Uh, she's very dismissive. <laughs> <laughs> well, so had they never had sex? Uh, I guess not. Maybe Weird. they've only been dating a little while. Oh, that could be. That could be. Tommy. <laughs> so what I love. So Tom, Lizzie is like, oh, my God, I want to watch us do it while we do it. <laughs> so they put in the Weird. VHS. And it's uh, the yeah, it's that goal. And the thing I love most is that Tommy is like watching it and super into it for like 10 for like two seconds while he's fucking her. And then he's like, he's n it's not uh, like he's into watching sports while he has sex, too. Yeah. And he's not putting it together that it's not the right tape. Yeah. Uh, but I also like that at the same time, uh, Mark, that Renton is having sex with Diane and he's talking about the goal that they're watching. <laughs> he, it's like the most family guy thing ever. This is, I feel yeah. like I haven't felt this good since, uh, so yeah. scored on this. Yeah. <laughs> and they freak out because they realize that it's not the right tape and that it's been replacing these. Like maybe I returned it. Like, are you, you returned video store? People can rent our sex tape. Freaks out, of course. Very yeah. fair, and you, you know, the they end the night just some distance from each other, waiting for the video store to open. <laughs> uh, Spud's night ends worse. Well, sort of. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, he different. Not good. he passes out and he fucking shits the bed. <laughs> and it's the reveal of it in the morning when he realizes it. It it feels like the Godfather reveal of the <gasps> horse's head, the right? The horse's head is so it's so much like that. I didn't put that together until just now, but yes. He's pulling back the covers, and there's like when I first saw it in like '97 or whatever on VHS, I I had seen the Godfather by this point, and I was like, is this blood? What the fuck? And I thought it was blood until. Yeah. 
until until yeah, the he, next scene. Yeah, he shat because he goes, oh, 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 oh yeah. You hear the flies buzzing. Yeah, it's like, oh no, oh no, and yeah, he really, really shit the bed. <laughs> Literally. Literally, and he wants to clean it up. He's trying to do the right thing, but. The girl's mother is like, no, no, give me the sheets. No, no, please let me clean this up. I don't want you to have to do this. I had an accident. They're my sheets. And they do a tug of war over the sheets and just. And it just, it flies everywhere. Yeah, they, they pull it apart and just poop across their breakfast table on, like, all over the mom's face. Yep. It's a big old (laughs) poop joke. And so that's the two big giant poop set pieces of this movie <laughs> set, uh, poop set pieces yes <laughs> they're wild yeah pretty gross uh, yeah these are these are definitely better than grade school poop jokes oh yeah for sure so renton uh had a great night however but he's gotta go he, he can't stay in the bedroom but he can sleep on the couch in the hall i guess sure right. why not sure and which he does yeah. I mean, sure he's probably slept on lots of couches he's a he's a real pass out in places kind of guy True. and he he wakes up the next morning to her parents uh who he thinks <laughs> oh you are flatmates like <laughs> i guess you could call us that they they think it's kind of cute they don't realize <laughs> that you know he's an older heroin addict he looks yeah. like a teenager he really does in fact i i knew a guy in school who looked exactly like him yeah yeah, so she's like, oh, good morning, and he turns he tur- around. To see her in her schoolgirl uniform. Freaking, like, like yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. And he's just like, he talks to her later, he's like, okay, that's it, I'm out. As he's walking her to school, actually. Yeah, they're, they're continuing on, and she's like, well, if you uh, don't date me, I'm going to turn you in. What do you think of that? It's like, this is not cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I can uh, go to jail for this. It's like, you could go to jail for this. You better see me again. <laughs> yeah, Whew. that's a that's a shitty situation to be in. Mm-hmm. Well, Tommy has a solution. He just wants to take everybody out to the mountains for hiking. Oh, yeah, just just go walk it out, guys. But they are not fucking into it. This is where we see a train. They take a train. They do take a train to the middle of nowhere. And nowhere, this is too beautiful to be in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I've never been to Scotland, but I understand it's gorgeous. It looks very majestic. But, yeah, this is where we get that great speech about colonized by wankers. You yeah, can even find it's... a good culture to get colonized by. <laughs> yeah, he's like, let's appreciate the great Scottish outdoors. It's so We're so lucky to be Scottish. No, it actually sucks to be Scottish because of this and that and the fucking English and all that. And just completely deflates poor Tommy, who yeah. really he's... actually needed this. Yeah, he really did need this, but he gives up. Because obviously these guys are not going to go on a walk to that mountain. <laughs> it is absolutely was never going to happen. Sick boy with his, uh, yeah, I know you and Liz are having trouble, but you don't got to take it out on us. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, no, I, this isn't punishment. Don't you? Uh, and like how far apart these guys have grown. They're clear. Like he's still thinking of them as like the dudes he went to school with. But yeah, they are not those guys anymore. 
Tony kind of stayed that guy. Yeah, he's like he's like lifting weights in his room. And yeah, he's he's got his shit together. He doesn't even do a shitload of drinking like Begbie does. Like he uses speed, but you know, just to just to keep himself sharp. But right. uh he he soon will start slipping because he is in their vortex. Yeah, yes. Um, Cuz this is around the point where the fun times start to end. Yes, uh, Spud, Sick Boy, and Renton made the healthy democratic decision to get back on heroin as soon as possible. Right, they all had a really bad night at the club. Everybody, uh, you know, Renton did get laid, but it was a problem. Uh, yep. And just the, the sex was, you know, non-existent for Spud and just the shitting the bed literally. And of course, Tommy's just depressing. Sick Boy's like, you know, he'll just do whatever. He He's here to just be horrible to whoever is present yeah <laughs> here's where he's ranting about the bond girls while everybody else is like while everyone's getting back on heroin we've got another montage and he's ranting about the bond girls um yeah about ursula andres and about pussy galore and he's just wrong about it he's such a fucking tool <laughs> <laughs> we've got like a montage of them uh, robbing different people stealing the tv right out from the old folks home while they're all watching it Right, and he he goes through how they live as drug addicts and just how much work it is, how all of the schemes they use, how they steal uh, uh, medical pads to uh, write prescriptions. They uh, just steal any sort of drugs that they can find anywhere. Just rob whoever. Mm. Just some, like, American guy going to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's shown up for some sort of music festival and he's in this very bright orange coat. And he's like, hey, do any of you know where blah, blah, blah is? And he's like, oh, yeah, and you can use the bathrooms. And they weaponize Begbie against him and send Begbie in. He's like, well, no, 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 no knife. He put the knife down. We're not <laughs> killing him. We're just taking the money. And they take all the stuff. And we see the bartender wearing the guy's coat <laughs> later. Yep. It's a good button on it. Uh, uh, we find out that Lizzie did tump, dump Tommy because of the tape and the of Iggy course. Pop business. Yeah, and, and the Iggy Pop business. It was a bit of both. Yeah, and he says to Renton, well, like, hey, you say this shit's better than sex, and now I can't have sex. I want to try it. And Renton's just like, <laughs> he's, his eyes are open, but he's passed out. Yeah, he's Renton like, doesn't want to, but he is also already nodding out. So it's like, how do I say no? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, well, I'm a fucking adult. I can find out for myself. And he, and then he pulls out the money. And that's where Renton... Yeah, I mean, Renton will, will take some money. Ren, Renton's a scumbag who could use some money. Yeah, man, where is he going to get his heroin from? He needs money. Yeah. And every money that Tommy gives him is a money he doesn't have to break shit for. Yeah, so it is money. You know, it's heroin money. And sure, I mean, I guess you could have some heroin, too. That's what you really want. You are a fucking adult. So, mm-hmm. so Tommy regrettably gets onto uh, heroin, and we won't hear about him until after he's dead of it. Yeah, basically. Well, no, we'll no, we see him, him one more time. That's right, when yeah. he has it. Yeah, uh, but before that, we hear a loud woman's loud and long woman's scream. And right, her. and Renton slowly coming to the realization that the screaming has been going on for some time. Yeah, for hours, maybe days, maybe a week. He doesn't really know. He's like, could it really have been that long that we didn't know? But yeah, it 
the baby has died. The baby has died. Little Don. Yeah. Oh, the way he, uh, the way he says it in the narration, he's like, it wasn't my baby. She, she wasn't my baby. Don wasn't mine. Right. And then they, it comes out that it's sick boy's daughter uh, and that, you know, Allison was uh, his girlfriend. And yeah, he, he kind of rages about it. Yeah. He's like, fucking say something. He's like, if only I could say something like a human being might. And he says, I'm going to cook up. I'm going to cook up. Yeah. I mean, what else do you say? So he's like, well, we need to uh, get on erasing this memory right now and being out of this frame of mind. So, you know, Allison, the, you know, the, the mother, it's like, cook up some for me, too. He's like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, but me, me first, though. Yeah. Me, yeah. That goes without saying, obviously. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Um. Fuck, I did not want to see that baby. Is <laughs> fucking bleak. Yeah, we, oh, we see bro, the baby just, they just dead from being left alone in, in the in the crib. It's a, it's a quite brutal moment. And obviously later when we see it coming at Renton on the roof uh, when he's going down cold turkey is fucking intense. Oh, my God. Yeah. But oh, just horror movies would show. Not all horror movies, but many horror movies would shy away from showing us that. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, it's it's something that uh, is still taboo, especially in American-made movies. It's mm-hmm. something you will get more in, like, a UK movie or a Canadian movie, even. It's just rare in a Hollywood film. Yeah, yeah. And this is sort of where we catch up with the beginning of the movie, because it's them getting caught shoplifting shortly after this that... It's it's the part where he's hit by the car that he's running away. So we actually saw him at this really low point at the beginning of the movie. And that's what started this whole thing. I didn't realize that this that we were like that we had been watching a flashback up to this point. I just thought he got hit twice by two different cars while running <laughs> away two different times. No, this is this the, the exact same uh, shot. Yeah, no. So this is the, us catching up to the flashback right here. Oh, OK. Um, yeah, he, he just, he's so high. He just stops and looks at the driver and laughs and that's how they catch him. Yep. And they, uh, well, sick boy gets away cause you know, he, he's a criminal mastermind. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> he's the guy who will trip his friend to get away from the bear. Most certainly. Absolutely. But, uh, Renton and Spud both go to court. Yep. Uh, Renton will be okay because like, er, He's getting off with a warning, basically, because he's been in this uh, methadone program to get off of heroin. Well, so as long as he's... It's also a matter of he's well-spoken and his family can afford to get him someone who can kind of spruce him up properly for this, oh. whereas Spud isn't that well-spoken. He's not quite as well-educated, and he's just kind of left to what he has to do. His parents can't really do much for him. I didn't realize that was a factor, but of course it was. Yeah. So Renton gets to go to rehab. Uh, Spud has to go to jail for six months. Yeah. Um, and they're doing this big celebration. It's like, yeah, Renton, you're going to get on rehab and get off heroin. Oh, it's going to be so great. He's like, yeah, that's absolutely going to happen for sure. And uh, Spud's parents show up and Bagby is such a fucking dick to them. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, man. It's like, yeah, he went to jail. I paraphrasing because I cannot talk like him. Uh, he went to jail because he's uh, like a druggy junkie. And if that's not your fault, I don't know what is. 
Yeah, he, he basically decides to blame it on them when they come in and are, you know, somber while everybody else is celebrating that Mark didn't go to jail. It's like, well, our kid kind of did go to jail and it's sort of your kid's fault to some extent. But, you know, he basically shouts them out of there and they're shamed into leaving without saying anything. <laughs> and then... Renton, uh, you know, he obviously immediately goes back to the heroin and almost fucking overdoses. Yeah, because, you know, he's on he's he gets three hits of methadone a day, but he did them all in the beginning. So now he's got 18 hours before you get more. Oh, that's such a long time. What do you do to fill that time? And again, that's what the movie's about, the train spotting things like how do you spend all the hours in a day? Well, they also say, like, if you're not high, then you got to worry about all this other shit. Like when you're getting high, you just got to worry about getting high. But when you're not high, you got to worry about bills, rent. You got to worry about jobs. You got to worry about life. Choose your future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's still not quite choosing that because, you know, he's got 18 hours to try to fill and he can't do it. So, you know, got to go back to uh, Mother Superior's place. And uh, oh, what a perfect day. <laughs> he falls. I I can't remember. Pardon me. I can't remember. There is some movie or show that copies this. It's probably Simpsons. I've definitely uh, seen it done a few times. Uh, they sort of do this in Get Out. It's sort of the sunken place. How oh, they this, do that. This did make me think of the sunken place. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he falls into the carpet and like into the carpet he like falls through the floor it's another dream sequence but also not yeah and i i love the way we get this pov shot of him just in the carpet we we see the carpet as like the sides of the screen and like he's gone from widescreen to academy ratio and <laughs> how he's seeing the world it's just carpet on the the other sides yeah, yeah. Well, all this stuff is happening to him, which is Mother Superior dragging him out to the fucking road. <laughs> yeah, dragging him to the road. We hear an ambulance, but that's not for him, actually. Right. That's such a great fake out that we hear the ambulance coming and it seems to be him dragging him out toward it. And then as he gets out to the street, the ambulance just goes by. <laughs> yep. And the and cab shows, shows up. Yeah. <laughs> He basically tells him to dump him outside the emergency room, which he does. And he gives him the money that Renton gave him for the the hit. Oh, I didn't realize that's where the money came from. I didn't even think about that. So, you know, t- to be fair, like he, he decided to not charge him. <laughs> it's like, OK, well, we'll use this to get you to the hospital. Yeah, but, you know, we'll also do it with taxis so that. Well, yeah. Because well, paramedics are government adjacent. Yeah, of course. You, you don't want them okay. sniffing around. Yeah, uh, they they they're going to have to write some sort of official report. You know who doesn't have to write an official report? A taxi, taxi driver. driver. Oh man, yeah. could you imagine if they did? No one would oh, take a taxi again. Yeah, that would be fucking bullshit. <laughs> that would suck for being a taxi driver too. Mm-hmm. That'd be total fucking crap. So, oh my god. He has his fucking overdose. He almost dies, and it's time to go cold turkey. His parents are done with this shit. Yeah, no, he hasn't decided it's time to go no. cold turkey. They have decided. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they bring him home. It's an awkward, silent cab ride. 
um, because they had just got done being so proud of him like the yeah. day before. And, yeah, oh, man. he so, really blew it. Yeah. Yeah, they don't even really say anything to him. They're very fucking unimpressed. This is like, we're extremely disappointed in you. Uh, and they lock him in the room. It's like, you're just going to have to fucking sweat it out this time. Oh, no, I'll go to the program. No, 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 no. We tried that. That did not work. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. So, so the, the, the come down montage is so cool because sometimes it's hilarious and sometimes it's extremely haunting because obviously this is where we get the baby Don as this creepy automaton puppet crawling on the ceiling towards him, which is the, the great nightmare. Wrong. Yeah. Is the baby's crawling wrong, and I don't know how to explain it better than that. It's like it's made of clockwork. Like, they, they have built uh, a puppet that does this, like an armature or something. And, yeah, it's it's so creepy. It's very well done. It does move like an animatronic. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you'll you'll have him, like, go under the covers and he'll encounter someone else. Like, yeah, he'll beg, pull the he'll covers over his head and beg these there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yelling at him about shit yeah or he'll see tommy it's like oh i can fucking find out myself he's like sliding back and forth right. forth along we see the wall. that tommy is doing very badly yeah oh i'm fucking finding out aren't i yeah uh spud is sitting on the door with a chain just kicking the door with his chain sick boy is just in the room like you've just got to say no right so some of this is clearly mixed in with the actual experience he's having and that sick boy has come by obviously still doing it and just having fun and here to fuck with him and just like show up and agree with his mother and say what a bad boy he is and uh just sit there smugly and watch him suffer oh yeah no sick boy in my in my theory is that he is actually off of it right now oh he could totally be yeah yeah just, to just be like, for well, fun yeah. just to show that he can do it well mrs renton i managed to get clean i'm sure your son can too <laughs> oh he he's got to pretend to them like he's he's the perfect kid he's like right the, he's not the sick boy yeah he, he's the eddie haskell the the next story no, no i'm doing everything good i'm the good yeah. example right right um, but yeah, eventually the baby like is right above him and Renton's freak out. Like the baby is scary, but it's not that scary on its own. But Renton's freak out and the music and the camera angles and everything about it just completely sells it so that this baby is the scariest thing I've seen in a long time. And it's also tied in with this mounting fear of AIDS because we have the game show with oh, his yes. parents or seem to be on a game show where it, it sounds like obviously it's, it's part of the reality blending and that obviously while he is going cold Turkey, his parents are looking up all this stuff about AIDS and he's hearing all of this information secondhand or watching them listening to programs or tapes or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. building it into game shows of just like the monolithic Cyclops of the television going all the time. Uh, but yeah, it's them responding to a game show where, uh, it's, it's all these questions about AIDS and how it destroys the body. Uh So when he's finally done sweating it out, they're like, we need you to go take a test. Yeah. Yeah. And the results of the test, he, he doesn't say right away, but he just says, I really am the luckiest guy in the world. 
Yeah. Um, I've been he, doing this for so many years. And I'm yeah, somehow, somehow negative. Yeah. Despite just really not trying in any way not to. Uh, he, he's managed to avoid it. But then he goes to see Tommy, who is not Ooh, well. Tommy's. He, he's elevated bad. So Tommy, first first we see the outside of Tommy's apartment where there is and I, I didn't realize that this was really a like I forgot that this was a thing in the eighties that mm-hmm. people would do, but like smearing poop on his door and like spray painting an arrow pointing to it saying AIDS scum and plague and mm-hmm. it's pretty brutal and this and, was totally a thing. Like it would ruin someone's career if they got AIDS too. Like in, in Hollywood. Not anyone's fault. Yeah, fucking oh my god, is this? Whole... It's it's brutal. <sighs> fucking Reagan. Yeah, and it's just like it's it's horrifying reality of it, and this is where it just really really hits that uh, base horror of it. Just him, he is clearly spiraling the drain. His place is disgusting. We we'd seen it before, and he's like, it's yeah. just gone to shit. Oh, yeah, like the the wall. It looks like Mother Superior's place. I forgot that we had seen it before and that it was pristine. Yeah. So Renton, he's getting the fuck out of town. Yeah, he's he's decided he has to go clean again. And we get our... That that corny London montage. It's so funny because it's so ridiculous. Yeah, it's just all the most ridiculous stuff that you think of when you think of London all just put together. Like it looks like a cornball tourist montage and it feels like a joke. I don't know how <laughs> sincere it's supposed to be, but it definitely feels like London. Isn't it stupid? <laughs> uh, well, considering their views on who they were colonized yeah. by. True. Although like Danny Boyle is English, not Scottish. Oh, it's so oh. funny. It was written by Scottish guys, I think. Well, and of course, Irvine Welsh is Scottish, but I think like, the script was written by actual Scottish dudes or something. Okay. Another thing. Well, one thing I like about the London montage is you always see all the old shit from mm. London in the movies and stuff. This interspersed with that, we've got like the super modern buildings and elevators and stuff that you'd never see in media. True. It's the silly nineties shit. They're focusing on the touristy nineties shit. Uh, yes. it's, it's really up to the moment. It's why it looks like a tourist video, because it's so modern and cornball. And it's like civic pride. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Well, the, like the door, the doorman at the hotel dressed all in red, <laughs> like cute. tipping his hat at the camera. I'm like, this is a, this. This is yeah. a commercial. Oh, completely. But he's uh, doing well for himself. He's got a job doing something in real estate that I don't fully understand. He's renting apartments. Okay. Um, he seems to have a knack for it. He's doing all right. He's got his got, own place. Yeah, he's got the gift of gab. Yep. Um, there's this one place that he's, like, showing people. The worst flat. the Just the worst flat in London. It's just the worst location. Oh, okay. I was going to say, this doesn't seem like that bad of a flat. But the location is everything. Yeah, it seems to just be a really shitty location where you the after you spend a couple minutes there, you realize all the problems of it. it it's it's <laughs> one of those sorts of places. Right. And it's just the one that they have never been able to rent and they, they just stop bothering with it. <laughs> but then. Oh, yeah. And I guess also he's course he's he's uh, sending letters with Diane. We, yeah. we said that they've kind of 
have a sort of friendly relationship now. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the letter, Diane is talking about how she's checked in on all the guys. Uh, we see Spud just passed out. <laughs> Lying in the fucking street. In the street, like resting his head on the curb. And he's like, like, I don't know exactly what it was he says. <laughs> I think he sends his regards. He's like, oh, <laughs> It's like, okay. <laughs> uh, your friend Begbie is wanted for armed robbery and he's on the run from the cops. And Renton's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and he hears and he hears the doorbell. Yeah. And, and it's of like a whole fucking Begbie is here. Yeah, they do like a mini dental plan thing. It's like doorbell and then Diane's voice, Francis Begbie, doorbell. <laughs> Like, oh no, who's the worst fucking house guest to show up? Francis Begbie. Oh my fucking god. So this guy <laughs> just moves on in. Like he just shows up, he moves in. The uh, the growing pile of cigarette packets outside the door to just a comical <laughs> degree that like you see him throw one or two, and then there's like a hundred. The guy is smoking like a chimney. Yep. Renton has to has to knock to be let into his own apartment we see it slowly getting messier and filthier yeah these people they, they just have no respect for anything they're they're so shitty and then sick boy shows up too oh sick boy no and sick boy uh fancies himself a pusher and a pimp now yeah why not he's sure. got a big deal coming oh the biggest deal but first, you know, he pawned he pawned Renton's TV. Like, I can't believe you didn't. Like, well, you didn't tell me you didn't want me to sell your TV. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's the final straw. <laughs> well, do you got a passport? Yeah. You can sell your passport for a lot of money. He's like, oh, I know a guy who can sell. He's like, why would I want to sell my passport? Just just a Fun. thought just a thought and he he like takes the food off his plate at the same time they're eating fish and chips and he yeah. fucking just takes it yeah so we smash cut to him putting a passport in like a locker or a safety deposit yeah, box or like, something like i don't want anyone to kind of like let's just get this away from those guys just they might take it if i uh leave it out <laughs> and then he installs them in the worst apartment yeah <laughs> and they don't have to pay rent because technically nobody lives there. <laughs> they just have to hide whatever a real estate agent shows. But they're uh, not capable of doing something as are. complicated as that subterfuge? Come on. No, no, you just gotta open the closet doors and jump out and surprise them. <laughs> yeah, that'll keep them away. We'll scare them like we're ghosts. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they get chased out of town. He loses his job. And then he's gotta go back to Scotland because Tommy has passed away. Yeah, they gotta go for the funeral in Edinburgh. So uh, t there's this whole story about how Tommy died. He had this Ugh. great idea to get back together with Liz. Oh, it's uh, so brutal. This is so uh, sad. He bought a cat, a kitten, and Liz he is bought like, a kitten. She's like, no, no. First, you don't just surprise someone with a kitten. Also, very bad choice. Yes. Also, I already broke up with you, and also, holy shit, look at a mirror. Yeah, you are fucked up, dude. You are doing very poorly. And he obviously was not paying much attention to the cat, so the cat's just pooping all over the place, and he got toxoplasmosis. It's so, like an abscess in your brain. It's a real fucking bad way to go. Yeah. Uh, so 
brutal. Made worse uh, by the HIV. Of course. Well, yeah, it's it's AIDS related. That yeah. it it's is how it kills him, and then. There, there's this very weird scene where this guy's whispering it to him in the funeral, like whispering all of this backstory to Renton during the funeral while the other people are the 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 otherwise very small attendants, like the family, are like looking around, like please stop, <laughs> shush, please. Yeah, uh, and so apparently he had been dead in his apartment for three weeks before he was found. Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, so brutal. The- Kitten was fine. Kitten was fine, yeah. Uh, they don't tell it. They don't tell how the kitten was fine, but I know how it, the kitten was fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they know how to survive. They'll eat the, a person. Yeah, no, um, cats, if you die in an apartment and your cat is starving, it will eat you. Same with My dogs. Cat, dogs will eat you, too. I think the dog would wait. Mm. I mean, it would do it eventually, but it would be really torn up about it. I cat think it's be been... Like, I think it's been heavily proven that bulldogs and cats will just eat you. Most pretty oh, okay. much any animal left alone with a dead body will eat it. Well, I know the cat will. Plum oh, is yeah, currently sure. purring in my ear. Will do. Yeti. Will eat me. No. Yeah. So they bury him, and they're all back together now. They're but, all back together. Well, I've got a plan. Got a Sick big score. Got a, got a big score. A big fucking score. Spuds out of jail. A, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about a big score at Tommy's funeral? And yeah. Baby's like, yeah. Yeah, of course. I like Always big ready scores. For some fucking action. Yeah. So it's Mikey, the guy from earlier with the fucking suppositories. Yeah, so he has this thing set up with these two Russian sailors um, <laughs> who sold him two kilos of heroin. Yeah, for for really cheap for some reason. I don't understand how these things work. Yeah, because they just happened to have it, and then they were they were smuggling it, but they like they didn't have someone to sell it to, and he's like, yeah, sure, four grand. And then the thing but is, they, they don't have four grand. Yeah, but Renton's got like two grand. No, huh? I don't. No, I don't. Yeah, you oh, fucking do. You can't yeah, you look do. to your bank statement. So. Fucking guy. And he's Worst like still well, it's it's still a no. But Begbie is like, well, what if I beat the shit out of you? And like, all right, all right, fine. I guess what I'm was that in. What he said? I, I not not in so many words, but yeah, he's threatening him. Okay. So they buy the heroin, and what none of them thought about was that some lucky bastard had to test it. <laughs> uh, of course, Renton is the guy for the job. Uh, sick boy's too smart, and Begbie doesn't trust Spud. And Begbie, of course, doesn't touch it. Yeah, Begbie's uh, straight edge. No, well, so, Begbie's you know. just a drinker. Yeah, so, you know, just one more hit and then one after this. <laughs> yeah. Well, <you laughs> just because. Just give it one. It's like, oh, that's really good because he, he's been straight for quite some time now. Yeah, so this takes place over the course of about a year, I think. Something like that. It's a very diffuse story because, like, in the original book, it's just a whole bunch of short stories, and they chose a bunch of them to sort of arrange in a line. And oh, okay. they mostly chose Renton stuff, where it's sort of just everybody. There's no, like, one point of view in the, the book. Oh, I should read the book then. That sounds... It's very good. Yeah. Cool. But like I say, it is all written in the Scots dialect. Uh, so oh, I found I found I had to read it aloud to myself when I was reading it as a teenager, so I could only read it at home, obviously. <laughs> right. 
Oh, you couldn't read the train spotting novelization in the library? Oh, then I had shit in me mouth. Well, it's not the novelization. This is the book it's based or, on. Yeah, uh, right. And sorry, not I, a novelization. I, read, I did read two of his other novels, and they're all written that way. They're all very hard <laughs> to read. And they're all about drugs. Uh, Acid so, House. Uh, ooh, ooh. It's good. So they're on a bus back to London to go do the deal, and Renton is shooting up in the bathroom just to piss off Begbie. Because of course. <laughs> Begbie, of course, has that whole pesky uh, armed robbery uh, warrant. Right, and he is just, like, stressed. This is a much bigger deal than he's used to going on. Yeah, yeah. The the people who he's who they're dealing with are uh, real professionals. Yeah. So they they get to the hotel room, and the <laughs> Spud is like tweaking out by the by the wall with the he's got like these yellow sunglasses. Mm. And they go to. Uh, is when they go to the pub. Oh, the pub. Is this when they go to the pub, or is this when they go to sell the heroin? Where are we at? No, this is where this is where they're going to sell the heroin. Okay, so they go to the the apartment where the the heroin deal is to go down. Or the hotel, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So he and the guys there, and Renton's like, yeah, they figured me out. They figured us out immediately. We're some dumbasses who accidentally got a big score. Yeah, some fucking small timers, obviously. Yeah. And they're like, well, I'm going to negotiate with you. You want 20000 I don't think it's worth 20000 Oh, fuck you, on one, I, 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 17 Not Yeah, Begbie is the one who, for some reason, decides to be the mouthpiece. And he is, <laughs> he he haggles, it, it, they end up getting 16,000 pounds. Fucking 16, then. All right. It's still Fucking pretty good. 16, then. They're all happy. They're all happy. Yeah, they're, they're not upset with even though he had a shitload more money in the briefcase, they're like, eh, let's just, let's just take this. Yeah, no one is upset when they leave. Like, they saw that there was the extra money, but they're like, Haha, we got fucking 16 grand. This is, a, this is a total success. Yeah, and then they go to the bar. And then it goes fucking bad, because uh, Begbie's a fucking maniac. But yeah. you know, I, I do like that bit where... Uh, Sick Boy and Begbie have both left to go to the bathroom or get more beers. And Renton's like, so, you want to grab that and run? Spud's like, are you, are you fucking crazy? He's like, no. <laughs> we could do it, yeah. You know, uh, fuck both of them. Those guys are assholes. Spud's like, no, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> They're our friends, man. Come on. And then Sick Boy gets back and is like, hey, you didn't steal the money. I would have. Yeah, I would have. wouldn't have even hesitated for a second. And then Begbie, meanwhile, there he's coming back with the drinks. And some guy slightly bumps him. And oh, shit, what a disaster. Oh, yeah. Well, you see, he got some beer on Begbie's, uh, Begbie's shirt. It's such a nice shirt. Well, it's not a nice shirt. But it's such a nice shirt. I mean, it's... So, of it's course, He's been looking for an excuse to blow off the steam he's had over all of this, for sure. Oh, definitely. He starts this huge... Well, he glasses him. He, he fucking, glasses Oh, yeah, right. And he, he glasses him. him. He, he puts the fucking beer can right in his face, and it's just... I, I still vividly recall the way this is written in the book, just about just the ease with which it happens and the glass going into his face like a waterfall and just the blood coming out and everything oh god very memorable 
<laughs> Damn. So after the fight, Begbie's all like, Rendon, bring me down a smoke. Come on, Rendon. Bring me the money. Yeah, he, he brings him all the stuff. And he's like, I want to hold it. I'm in charge here. Which, of course, Renton is starting to realize, you know, maybe absolutely fuck this guy. And I am going yeah. to steal this for real. Yep. And they're in the hotel room and he's the only one not. At, well, he's the only one we see that's not asleep. He's like wide awake. And he's he's contemplating. Yep. And we have uh, Born Slippy playing on the soundtrack. Is the very slow lead up. The dun, 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 dun. So fucking good. Yeah, he slowly, carefully pulls the bag out from Begbie's arms as he's cuddling with it in his sleep. Mm-hmm. Slowly getting dressed, slowly, quietly going to the door, stepping over a sleeping sick boy. But sick boy's eyes are wide open. It's like, no, uh, no shaking Spud. his head. Oh, sorry, Spud, right. Yeah, he's shaking his head. He's like got tears coming out of his eyes. But Spud, just... Spud won't call out like he mm-hmm. won't sell sell out renton yeah but renton just looks at him and nods and walks out the window or yeah, the fucking he, door. <laughs> he heads out the door and then of course he does leave spud's share in the same locker that we saw the the passport left in because he's got to do right by spud spud never yeah. did anything any wrong by anybody yeah uh, we cut to the next day where Frank is trashing the room, screaming his lungs off. <laughs> He's blowing his stack. And the cops come in. <laughs> and he's he's done. Yeah. He's fucked. They, they take him away for a bit. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, and yeah, and then we have uh, Renton talking about how he is going to choose life this time. Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. for sure. I'm going to be just like you. I'm going to choose a job, choose a <laughs> girlfriend, choose an apartment, choose this, choose that. He I'm, does the whole thing again and just keeps going and going into the soundtrack, into the fun, end credits. Oh, it's so fucking good. <laughs> How long do you think? It, oh, I missed like the most important line from when mm. he's in the bus. This was meant to be my last hit. But let me be clear. There's final hits and there's final mm. hits. Yeah. Which is this to be, I wonder? Don't know. We don't know. We don't find out. Well, well we maybe know. we maybe we find out in T2 train spotting. Is that a real thing? Yes, it is. There is oh, a sequel. It came out in I want to say 2016, like a full 20 years later. Oh, wow. I have not watched it yet, but I will soon. Uh, it oh. is made by Danny Boyle, got the whole cast back. Oh. It's written uh it's it's based on another book by Irvine Welsh that is the follow-up. So Okay. You know, I hear it's really good. Cool. I, I, well, I mean, if it is just a series of short stories together, I guess I'd watch another one of these. Sure. Yeah, just catching up with all these dudes twenty years later. See what these guys are doing in the in the twenty tens would be pretty interesting because this is so deeply nineties and so iconically nineties in a way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, your first time seeing Train Spotting. It's pretty fucking rad, right? Uh, yeah, I saw more of myself in Renton than I would like. Yeah, he is an unpleasantly relatable character. He is a character who you can relate to all of your worst impulses. Uh, he He's really great for that, and it's what makes him such an interesting protagonist. Like, Ewan McGregor is so charming that he makes him likable enough that you don't find him 
totally objectionable to watch the way some characters like this can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've definitely been in the, oh man, I'm not going to be able to smoke pot for 18 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I better get door dashing and get some money real quick then. (laughs) Although that's... Uh, you know, it's it's not it's a little quite as severe. Obviously, it's not quite the same. But yeah, you know, and and you're not going out fucking over a bunch of people for it either. <laughs> well, that depends on how you define DoorDash's business model. But you know, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's that's DoorDash fucking you over too. <laughs> oh, it's no, no, they're fucking the customers just as much as they're fucking me. Everybody, the the restaurants too. Everybody's oh, getting they are fucking, fucking dick the restaurants. And, you know. Yeah, oh, it's true. They got dick to go around. It's what they're there for. But yes, train spotting, it's a fucking blast. It's unusually fun for its subject matter about drug hell, which is its real revelation. I think this movie is more effective at getting people away from drugs than Requiem for a Dream would, because totally. this one understands why you do it in the first place. Yeah, it it totally gets the point, and it is able to recognize that while also showing why it's still bad. Uh, And this was a really fundamental movie for me, and I certainly never got into drugs when I was in high school or university. You know, it it definitely did not make me interested in getting into them. Well, I didn't watch the movie and did get into some drugs, so (laughs) hmm, maybe it is a good anti-drug movie. And I did watch Requiem. I can't say it. My mouth won't do it. Requiem (laughs) for a dream. Yeah, and I mean, I also even read the other Irvine Welsh novels, which are all also about drugs. The, <laughs> the I, I read The Acid House and I think Marabou Stork Nightmares is the other one, I believe. Yeah, I've never read the sequel. Porno is the book. <laughs> the The movie is just called T2, Train Spotting. <laughs> so... He too immediately makes me think of Terminator 2. Yeah, I think intentionally it was like a uh, gag because it's <laughs> literally called T2 train spotting. Like, not T2 colon train, it's just T2 train spotting. It's not train spotting 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'll be, I'll be fucking back, mate. Uh, so it came out in right at the beginning of 2017, the sequel. So 21 years later. Oh, yeah, the world became interesting in a different way in that time yeah so i think that one will be interesting to uh finally see i'll definitely be checking that one out soon i'm doing uh, a bunch of boyle films i don't have a lot of his work unfortunately most of it's hard to get on uh physical media like there's a bunch that have yet to come out on blue which is a bummer oh dang like the next one, A Life Less Ordinary, is just this really bizarre romantic comedy where there's angels who work as like a corporate structure to deal with romances and like guiding people through them. It's a weird movie. Okay. And Ewan McGregor's in it as a bank robber. Strange. All right. I recall it being great. Again, great soundtrack. Yeah, no, this is interesting. Uh, this being the only thing I've seen him in besides Star Wars. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> and now i'm just imagining uh if mark renton became obi-wan kenobi and anakin <laughs> just got a heroin addiction instead <sighs> yeah and, and anakin that's like played by tommy a, a tommy oh, version yeah. of anakin yeah that would still be better <laughs> 
So any last thoughts on train spotting before we head on to our third and final section for the evening? Um, I do have a last thought, but let me just mm. be clear. There are last thoughts and there are <laughs> last thoughts. Which one is this to be, I wonder? Hmm. And Drive Time Jay back again here for the Watch Stacks. We've got a lot of picks this week and a lot of moves. We've got a couple new stacks, all sorts of crazy shit going on over here. Oh, oh, there is some interesting stuff here, isn't there? So we've got 15 picks for our first week of February and our first dip into the regular stacks for uh, quite some time because we had our five weeks of resolutions. Oh, wow, it was five, too, yeah. It was five. So first up, the most unlikely pick of the bunch, Nakoi Katsi. Nakoi Katsi. This one, I don't, it has chanting in it again, but I don't think they ever say the name. It is, again, a Philip Glass score. It has that going for it. Okay. Uh, it's very bad otherwise. <laughs> um, it's a huge gap in quality from the previous ones. I sort of get what it's trying to do politically, but it's, you know... You've seen stupid YouTube conspiracy bullshit and just videos of just every image in this movie is like the background to a dumb conspiracy video, you know, <laughs> it's because it, it doesn't have any of like the trademark time lapse shots. It doesn't have any outdoor footage. It's mostly like almost entirely made up of stock footage that. Oh. He's added video effects, too, so it's, what? like, instantly dated, you know? I'm just <clears> imagining, <throat> like, like the old PowerPoint uh, wipe across the screen with a droop set. <laughs> it's not that, like, it's, you know, they're, they're all processed, so they look more sinister. And it's just like, oh, it's waves, but it's in negative. And it's like, oh, <laughs> here's Castro, and here's Bush, and here's, like... Gandhi and like I don't know what what are we even doing? It's pretty bad. It's really quite bad, honestly. Mm, it's a okay. disappointing conclusion to the trilogy. Oh, uh, I mean, I've seen it a couple times before. It's bad, but you know, uh, I had it on DVD when it was new because it was recent. Like it came out in two thousand seven or something. Oh wow. I don't know. Maybe it's a little earlier than that. I, I like. I remember getting it on DVD from Future Shop. Maybe it was before I worked there, and I, I worked at Future Shop circa. Oh, is that around 2007? I don't know. Something like that. Uh, anyway, 2002 <clears throat> says it came out. Okay, so I guess it came out on. Oh yeah, it was definitely before I worked there. It was when it came out when I was in university. So that tracks. I, I got it on DVD, and that's how I originally saw it. I of course did not see it in its practically non-existent theatrical run, where it did not do well because it was not well liked. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't see these movies. Yeah, being yeah. Uh, theater popcorn films. Well, the first one sort of was. It was an art house thing, but like this one, it's just not fun, and it's. It's bad. It's it's very of its time. Uh, it. I mean, this is a year after 9-11. People didn't oh. want to watch this shit. So next up, we've got Alien Covenant, the sequel to Prometheus. Ah, David 2. 
David is back. Uh, we've also got another David. I can't remember what name he has in this one. Like he's the next iteration of David. And, you know, he's they've worked out some of the bugs with David being, you know, a scary, raging narcissist who wants to turn people into monsters. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. So, you know, they, they can sort of debate each other a little bit or fight or kiss. You know, they, they can kiss a little bit. Oh, um, my God. I <laughs> So <laughs> I didn't send you alert, the kiss. You sent me a photo or a video yeah i sent you a quick clip of where they kiss uh weird scene i'll take it yeah this movie i feel it's like ridley scott doing his own version of aliens sort of his idea of what would make a more interesting sequel to it where instead of following space marines to this already infested one it's like hey let's look at the colonists who are arriving on this planet and unexpectedly encounter this uh alien infestation cool it's pretty good you know it's uh it tones down some of the character stuff where they're really extreme idiots at times you know (laughs) they're dumb but they they they're more reasonably dumb these people are not supposed to be scientists like i said they're colonists they're people who are sent to move in on this new planet so you don't really expect them to uh take precautions as much they are supposed to live here right it's interesting i i had heard that Prometheus had a pretty negative reputation when it came out. Mm. I haven't heard anything about this. Yeah, it's weird. It generally was well-liked. People were like, yeah, that's pretty good. It's a good alien movie. Uh, Make more like this. And then, you know, it's just kind of been dormant since then. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've always enjoyed it. I saw it in theater. I liked it then. I picked it up on Blu-ray. I've seen it a handful of times since. It's, you know, it's always fun. It's a good time. Cool, cool. It's not as deep as Prometheus. It doesn't have as much to say, but it's an interesting continuation of the story. And you see more of uh, David growing in his menace in a way. Oh, oh so he doesn't uh, decide to find his humanity. He doesn't become a real goodie. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, next up, we have the last I, I did the, the the other two movies in Vinegar Syndrome's Made in Hong Kong Volume one set. That's the category three uh, horror set. So first of them is erotic nightmare, which uh, is this guy. He meets this monk and the monk's like, I'm going to give you this first one for free, uh, but (laughs) you're going to have just this incredibly hot erotic dream and it's going to be amazing. And it'll be the best erotic dream you ever had. And, you know, if you want more of them, come back and see me. And this All guy's right. like really sexually frustrated for whatever reason. He isn't into his wife. I think it might be because he's into his students. I don't even know if he is a teacher, but he has all these fantasies of being a teacher and uh, having sex with schoolgirls. And that's what happens in the erotic dreams he has. So it's him having this dream about uh, getting it on with a student. But then, you know, right before he's going to get off, he's woken up. Oh, that's good. I don't know who I'm cheering for here. Right. Yeah. You know, he, he wakes up and cause like, uh, uh, someone has the, the neighbor presumably has murdered their dog. Cause the neighbor has been threatening to cut their dog's head off. Oh, uh, so that, you know, that's the whole thing, but, uh, it, it turns out it's the tax for the dream. The dream has a blood tax and, uh, he goes and pays for more. Like he goes to the guy and it's like, okay, you know, I was, that was a really incredible, uh, unbelievably lucid dream. 
So he goes for more of them and it turns out they have a blood tax and just soon it unravels his whole life because the guy's actually he's sort of a con artist and sort of a family annihilator this monk he oh my gosh really you know, he he <laughs> kind of makes the family implode from within and makes the guy kill all of the family and then he has he extorts them for all of their money as well so you know all right. it's, it's it's pretty wild uh, next, we've got The Deadly Camp, which is the third one in that set, which is the one that's talked about as being a Friday the 13th knockoff. Oh, OK. Yeah. And I see that it's more of an everything knockoff. It's just like <laughs> it's it's just cliche city. Uh, these teens who are really fucking annoying go to a beach slash uh, forest like it's it's a secluded foresty island. And they're camping on the beach. And there is... Please. No, I was just saying, okay. Okay. So uh, then there's this guy. There's there's this guy who has a mentally disabled child. Mm -hmm. And he's a fucking lunatic. He has a chainsaw. Uh, Anytime someone slightly startles the child, he uh, goes off and he attacks them with the chainsaw. And, you know, it's his thing. He's basically the Jason slash Leatherface. He's the slasher. But, you know, it's... It's extremely derivative. You do see where it's going at all times. <laughs> but it's kind of fun to see, you know, the the Hong Kong version of it, I guess. Actually, yeah, I don't know if I have seen any uh, Asian slashers. Not like straight slashers. There was that Kung Fu slasher we watched a while back that was really cool. That one rips. Uh, Human Lanterns. Right, yeah. That one, that one was awesome. So fucking good. Maybe my very favorite, honestly. Like, it's up there. Uh, next, we got Frostbiter, The Wrath of the Wendigo. Ooh, never uh, seen a Wendigo movie. It's pretty cool. So it's a trauma film, early trauma. It's kind of mostly just distributed by them, but I think they maybe finished it off. Because it comes out in the 90s, but it's distinctly 80s in most details. <laughs> okay, so maybe this is one like that has been sitting around on the shelves for a decade I believe so. It's got very 80s looking style to it. It's just this weird, funky Detroit Wendigo movie where uh, it's got really funky creature effects, not unlike Spookies. Uh, you, you got just lots of rubber monsters around. There's constant music. Like the music is almost another character in the movie. It's all these songs written by local bands for the movie. Uh, there's there's this bit where this uh the there's a guy making chili and the chili has its own theme song and then <laughs> there's a chili monster that comes out of the chili and eats someone's hand <laughs> and then <sighs> no shit later on there's another chili theme song when the chili monster comes back and it's like chili man chili man uh the the first theme song is a sample of Kiss by Prince. It uses the opening guitar lick. <laughs> Amazing. It's for chilly. A very strange movie. Quite interesting. Would Inspector Ike approve or disapprove, do you think? I don't know. Like, they do spend some time on the chili, but then they have to throw it out into the cold because it becomes oh. infested with a monster. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, you gotta eat chili you can't waste it like that he he wouldn't approve he wouldn't there is a whole comic scene of them like 
racing out the door and throwing the chili out so outside into the snow. <laughs> so it's it's a weird mix of tones. All right. Next, we've got Undeclared War, which is a Hong Kong action film from the, I think, late 90s? Or no, early 90s. It is 1990. So kind of one of the fundamental ones around the same era as stuff like Hard Boiled and The Killer. Cool, cool. And it's confusing. It's about a CIA agent working with Hong Kong police. Okay. But like... The CIA guy, you know, he's a real rogue fucking crazy American, whereas uh, there's just the really, you know, staid and steadfast uh, uh, Hong Kong police chief who, you know, has to learn to work with him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so the chief has to learn to accept, oh no, the chief always has to learn to accept the loose cannon. Yeah, and they're, they're after this terrorist group who are vaguely leftist i don't really get what their deal is it it seems almost like a cult in a way but somehow these guys managed to kill the polish diplomat to i guess china but like him they they annihilate him and his entire family there's just this insane opening scene where uh they start shooting up a wedding i think or maybe it's a christening i can't remember exactly but then like they've got the guy in the car and like he's the diplomat and he gets shot in the head and then he's got the baby in his lap and someone drops a grenade on the baby and our <laughs> hero runs and just the car explodes I'm like wow that was fucking nuts that was okay. a way to open a movie Damn. <clears throat> uh but yeah and then you know it's them battling these terrorists uh and it's an undeclared war right <laughs> all right <laughs> Wait, but the war on terror was declared, oh, not until a decade later. Yeah, and this is like Hong Kong, you know, it wasn't declared by them. True. Next, we've got the Las Vegas serial killer, which is uh, the the last Ray Dennis Steckler before it gets into the hardcore stuff. Uh, we won't get to it quite yet, but I have re-added the Trooper to the main stacks because I plan on getting back to that before I dig into the porno ears i gotta get to the chooper one of these days yeah so las vegas serial killer it's kind of a sequel to the skid row slasher one skid row slasher meets the hollywood strangler okay cool because it's that guy but having gotten out of prison which is tough because he died at the end of the other one but it, it doesn't matter uh it's it's only vaguely a sequel it has some clips from it and it's it's basically you know a guy who's a serial killer and he's gotten out of jail for whatever reason they've decided to let sure. him out and he just picks right up doing it again obviously and it's just him doing the same stuff again uh but mostly it's just these two guys on a petty crime spree <laughs> it's just these <laughs> random two dudes and it's like you know how you talk about the uh jason takes a boat uh, takes a boat to manhattan right right yeah this should be las vegas serial killer <laughs> <laughs> when are they gonna get to the serial killer factory it's it's a whole lot of las vegas and it's just i i kind of dig that it's just them hanging around vegas these two guys on a really petty crime spree and just like taking in all the casinos and the nightlife and just all the weird stuff. And then once in a while, this guy does a serial killing. It's, it's, it's strange flavor. 
You know, it's Las- very fucking Stecklery. Las Vegas is cool. I'd love to go back someday. Just a, a fascinating place for sure. Mm-hmm. So next up, we've got the dogs. Oh, I like dogs. This one, the dogs are sort of the villains. They're kind of adjacent to the villains. Uh, they're not like necessarily evil, but you know they're controlled by evil. Oh, poor dogs. So it's it, Gerard Depardieu is our head of the dog mafia. Uh, he, what? <laughs> he's, it's, it's, it, this was a real problem in some areas in France where there was an increase in violent crime. So a lot of people ended up buying all these attack dogs. So it's all of these people walking around with dogs trained to attack people. Just, just a <laughs> recipe for disaster, right? <laughs> I can already see how, how this could turn out. Yeah. So it's this whole thing where Gerard Depardieu is basically the guy who runs the main obedience school. <laughs> Dog Buffy. He, he yeah. controls the city then. He basically does. That's the thing, because everybody sort of comes to him as almost a cult leader. And as you watch him training them, he trains the dogs with the people. And he's kind of training the people as well as training the dogs. That is interesting. It's pretty cool. So he uh, he's he's sort of working on the council and there's this weird, very French backyard council meeting where it's like city council and the mayor's there and he's like, I don't like this dog stuff. This dog stuff is, you know, you cannot believe how many reports of bites have gone up. It's like 14,000%. You don't, like, this is not working out. <laughs> Fucking what? All, you know, and everybody else is there with their dogs and they're like, well, we disagree, obviously. <laughs> and then the mayor is killed by a dog. So, you know, it turns into a whole thing. <laughs> There's the new doctor in town who has to sort of figure out what's happening. This sounds amazing. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Next up, we've got Skip Tracer, which is a Canadian movie. Oh. Uh, this is, uh, it's really nasty exploitation. It's made in Vancouver. An accomplished in, uh, repo man from Vancouver takes a new hire under his ring while their morals and limits are tested on the job. It's sort of because, I mean, it's it's weird. He's like the man of the year. You know, he, he was like their top repo fucking guy. You know, he works. They're, they're a predatory loan agency, essentially. Oh, OK. And he, he goes to repo stuff. You see him just like ganking people's cars in the night or taking back TVs and stuff. Uh, and he's just really driven. He wants to be man of the year a second time so he can show them. <laughs> we'd hate to take your house it's yeah it's like Bankman the movie uh, <laughs> and there's like a young apprentice who wants to follow him to sort of get some insight into how to do the business better but like the secret is the boss fucking hates him and is trying to drive him out and is sort of like putting him on cases that are going to fuck him up mentally and put him in really awful moral situations it's Ooh. it's dark <laughs> it's Ooh, very good but yeah it's bleak as hell oh man that could be that could be real interesting because he would be like he's already got to have questionable questionable morals to begin with to be the top repo man yeah uh um, and yeah what's he, he gonna run into then uh it 
it gets fucking brutal. <laughs> things things go bad. Uh, next, we've got Blaze Star Goes Nudist, which is the next Doris Wishman nudie cutie. Oh, are they nude on the sun? Or yeah, are they nude on the sun this time? This one, they're just nude in fucking Florida. Uh, it's so blaze star i i think i mentioned a little bit about this last week she was a very famous stripper the, okay in, in this they sort of pretend she's a famous movie star but this is the only movie she was ever in uh, <laughs> it, and she's got like her publicist boyfriend who's just like trying to get her to, to you know get out there and uh, get on all these publicity things and she just she's so tired of all of it and she goes to a dirty movie. She goes to a nudie cutie movie. And she's like, huh, ladies' breasts. And then she's like, maybe I'll become a nudist. And she goes and finds the place where the movie was shot. She applies and she becomes a nudist and starts hanging out there every weekend. Well, you can apply? Oh, oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I mean, a club. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was 1962 or whatever. <laughs> uh, and yeah, she joins the nudist colony and it's this whole shaggy thing about like, Oh, what about your image as a movie star? And uh, you're trying to make sign this big deal. And he's like, I don't care about signing this big deal. I want to just be (laughs) naked. Weird. I mean, it's, it's wish It's not, not much of a concept (laughs) compared to some of the other ones. Yeah. It doesn't sound like there's really a story there. There's, There's very little of it. Uh, next up, we've got Ted Bundy. Ooh, uh, this one by... By Matthew Bright from, uh, last week's Freeway, same director. Yeah. It's um, Freeway adjacent, I would say. It feels like it's in the Freeway universe. It's the Freeway universe version of Ted Bundy. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's elevated it's very ridiculous it's certainly not concerned with being true to the events (laughs) i was wondering about that it it's the tabloid version it's like going at all the most extremes we see him do a lot of really nasty stuff and you do see him also being just a sniveling awful piece of shit like it, it is obvious at all times and it should be clear to everyone around him that he is uh fucking explosion waiting to go off in just the most horrible way and nobody's really uh reacting to it the right sort of way all right that sounds interesting it's pretty decent but yeah one of the big problems is that like it's super fucking low budget and even though it's a period movie it doesn't have any period music it just has a shitty synth score at all times and it really loses some of the flavors like i I'm not reading this as happening in the 70s. It just seems like it's a shitty 2000s direct-to-video thing. Because <laughs> it is. All right. it, yeah. it is that that level, unfortunately. Well, that's a shame. Next, we've got Terror Squad. Terrorists attack Kokomo, Indiana. It's uh, the they want to they they want to uh, blow up the nuclear power plant there. But the thing is, they're their uh, van full of explosives and that guy he just gets just inside the fence and they blow him up and the three other guys like they have a rocket launcher and a bunt and guns and a bunch of ammo but you know they kind of blew it at the first stop so they just sort of terrorize kokomo indiana downtown which is you know it's a small town sure. uh, and ultimately they take over a high school but you know it's it's after school so it's just a detention class <laughs> And uh, there's 
like we've got Chuck Connors is supposed to be like he's top build. He's arguably the main character as the cop who's trying to talk them down. Uh, he literally never does anything. He <laughs> he's outside the school. He talks them through a bullhorn. He sends people to like maybe look at stuff. He's like, we really wish you guys would stop uh, a whole bunch of times. And then uh, ultimately he does nothing. Just like uh, a real cop. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, you know, the 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 teens in the class obviously rebel because they're a bunch of delinquents. It's like if terrorists took over the breakfast club, <laughs> but really low budget, like super regional. Yeah, weird. Quite violent. Right. Lots of explosions. Lots nice. of explosions. All right. Uh, and the, the the shot, like the sequence where they just go on a fucking rampage through a small town is pretty striking. It sounds like sounds like it could be fun. It's not bad. It's decent. It's decent. Cool. Next, we've got Satan's Menagerie. Uh, the budgets just keep getting lower here, <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear. And uh, that's that's going to be true for the next two as well. Okay. So this one, it's very ambitious. Uh, it's it's a early 2000s direct-to-video one shot on video thing oh, and from the poster i thought it was going to be like a 60s it, it does look like that right and it's sort of like a mad monster party sort of thing it's got all of the different types of monsters you've got a mad scientist who's working with a vampire and uh there's let me see uh werewolf there's a werewolf uh and I think there's one other. Uh, anyway, like it, it has like this incredibly deep lore about how all of the different monsters come from these different cursed bloodlines, from something that's basically Lord of the Rings, you know, like the Ring Wraiths. Okay, cool. They they all have a history where like they're all they they were involved with this uh, demon, and the thing is they're all going to get together. Oh yeah, that's right. One of the others is a demon, and he's helping them to resurrect that guy so he can their powers can be unlocked and unlimited or whatever i don't know sure. it, it it involves them having like final fantasy turn-based rpg battle on the edges of a fucking pentagram at the end with like video effects right. it gets silly <laughs> uh next we've got tristan and assault which is the first film in the Michael J. Murphy Magic Myth and Mutilation box set. Oh my. Uh, he's just no budget uh, UK filmmaker. Very, very obscure. Uh, and this one is fragmentary. It's they, they don't have the complete movie anymore. It doesn't exist. Oh, okay. So, so this one's very vapor-wavy. A lot of parts are just taped off uh they they had a version where it was him taping some of it with a camcorder all right so that's some of the pieces and some of it's just altogether missing there's big it's only it's less than an hour long and it's clearly a much longer story you know it's based on classic epic of tristan and isold and you know their right. epic romance okay interesting watching but yeah it's uh fragmentary it's uh it, it's kind of dreamy and last up is Damselvis, daughter of Helvis. What? <laughs> oh, Damselvis. Oh, my God. I get it. Yeah. Uh, this is another shot on video thing. Uh, I think it's supposed to be based on some 
indie underground comic. And I think Helvis maybe had a rockabilly or hellbilly single or psychobilly, I guess. It's about... Um, <laughs> uh, so first you see there's there's these people who are kind of dressed like Mormons. You know, they're all in the all white and suits and stuff, except for Black Jesus. Okay. He's, he's dressed in the robes and everything classy. He's got the crown of thorns, but he's black. Uh, right. So, you know, historically accurate, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you have also there's a couple goth girls and a biker. And all right. Jesus asks for, I need a lamb. And uh, one one of the guys in white volunteers and bikers stands up and he fucking executes him. You know, with a handgun back to the head. And guy's just got this big gaping bullet wound. He falls forward. And then Jesus brings it back to life. Black Jesus, you know, he could really do it. Okay. <laughs> this is like, cool. okay, that's interesting. And then one of these girls kills this farm girl who just like lives on the farm and she's been really repressed and she hasn't been able to explore the world and then she gets resurrected as damselvis and she wears a lot of fringe and she's gonna resurrect helvis who's like a psycho billy elvis impersonator i want to (laughs) say he's entombed in this pyramid and she she spends most of the movie just like driving from place to place and asking people if they know how to do the resurrection spell and if they will teach it to her and it's just (laughs) very slow lo-fi quest to find that out and then finally someone does and she does and she resurrects him and he has a battle with fucking black jesus i'm just imagining her (laughs) Driving around, uh, she meets the two hunters from uh, Stroitzek. Oh, like, yeah. Do you know how to resurrect Helvis? Is that no. a, is that a, not a voltmeter? Is that a voltmeter? Interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, sir. Yeah. So those are our 15 choices. So what do you figure? Oh, goodness. Um, there's quite a few that I'm interested in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, obviously, I want to see Alien Covenant because... I want to see what happens next. And I, yeah, Prometheus, Prometheus was a good time. Kind of, kind of renewed my interest in the franchise. Like, yeah, kind of died off after um, uh, the Winona Ryder one. Resurrection, up, yeah. Not, uh, not being that great. Oh, I agree. Uh, and the only ones it. in between are AVP and oh, AVPR, and those both do kind of stink, to be fair. Yeah. The, whichever one I watched stunk. Yeah, um, you saw AVP. Right, right. Yeah, the the Hong Kong action one sounds fun. Skip Tracer and the dog both sound great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, A lot so, of good stuff, I agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, though, I had been meaning to get into Ray Dennis Steckler. Mm-hmm. Uh, would the Las Vegas serial killer be an all right place to start with that, do you think? Potentially. I mean, it definitely has the slow cinema aspect where it's just like, and we are watching just Vegas nightlife for a long time. And then and then the killer strikes and we watch him strangle someone and then Vegas nightlife. And here's <laughs> these two guys and they're stealing stuff. They rob someone and then... Like, they leave someone in a trunk, which ends up getting them killed by the serial killer. But, you know, they're just on their own trip. 
although I do kind of want to start with the trooper. And the trooper is on the regular stacks this week. I'm going to introduce that shortly. So, I mean, it will be coming up. And I don't know for sure if I'm going to put all of the uh, hardcore ones on here or not. As I go through them, I might leave the trooper as the signature one on the stacks as I go through. But we'll see. All right. Cool, cool. Um, Would you be adverse to doing the second, uh, the next alien so soon after we did Prometheus? I got no problem with it. If you want to see it, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's less heady. There, there's less to dig into, but you know, it's another fun ride. Um. All right. Let's. Uh, let's do. You know what? Yeah. Let's do that. Let's. All let's right. Get the Alien, next Alien one. Alien Covenant. Okay. Yeah. So we have a bunch of additions to the stacks, as suggested. So first up, uh, Rear Window, as already mentioned, is the next Hitchcock one. It fucking slaps. I'm tempted to pick that one, but I don't think I'm going to this time. That's fair. Uh, Next, Two Lottery Tickets, which is a Romanian comedy, quite recent. uh, Romanian New Wave sort of thing. It sounds sort of like a Romanian version of Dude, Where's My Car?, basically uh it's these three kind of dim dudes and they they really need some money so they buy a lottery ticket and by god they fucking they win the lottery but they lose the ticket oh dude where's my ticket so it's just them trying to find the ticket and just the uh, them uh, you know going through all of these travails trying to locate it that kind of shit okay uh next up we've got blood shack aka the trooper uh what more to say? We've spoken about it. <laughs> we, we've talked about it a few times. It has come up. It will come up again. It sure will. <laughs> uh, next is Metal Detector Maniac. This is a really low-budget regional comedy about these two dudes. They're songwriters, and they become totally obsessed with pretending that some dude who they see regularly using a metal detector in town is actually a mass serial killer, and they're stuck in a rut trying to write their music so they're just constantly trying to write songs about this guy being a serial killer even though he's just some <laughs> dude with a metal detector All i don't right. know it sounds very experimental comedy modern stuff i i it could go either way <laughs> oh from 2021 yeah very recent hmm. next we've got i miss you hugs and kisses one of the rare canadian entries in the video nasties list oh uh, uh, interesting yeah, so it's based on a true crime uh, that did take place in Canada. There was this guy, I, I think his name is Demeter, and he killed his wife, who was a supermodel, or at least, you know, like a, a model, a known model, right. right? And, you know, it's it's about this true crime case. Cool. Uh, one of the, from what I understand, not one of the more uh explicit or exploitative movies in the video nasties list it's more just there's a part where they have all of the reconstructions of who could have possibly did it where it's just person after person fucking smashing her head in <laughs> kind of like the mr well, burns sequence you know who oh, shot mr yeah. burns it's just yeah. everybody did it yeah <laughs> uh next we've got hideout in the sun which is the next or the first i should say doris wishman picture Oh, the first one she ever did? Very first movie. It is a nudie cutie. It's at a nudist camp, or mostly. So it's okay. about these these guys, they commit a robbery, and they 
go on the lam and they happen to hijack a car and this lady who's uh whose card is she's like well i'm a nudist you know i hang out in this nudist colony and like they go to hide out in the nudist colony yeah to hide out that's the yeah. reason in the sun yeah <laughs> yeah it was a productive day at the bus terminal at the nudist colony <laughs> Uh, next is Happy Ever After, which is the next one in the Michael J. Murphy box. My understanding is this one is also very fragmentary. Okay. Uh, I think it's missing the audio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I believe it's largely missing the audio. And it's sort of a romance movie, but like very hazy and confusing uh, I don't know what to make of that one yet. Uh, I, eventually, he gets into doing just weird lo-fi horror, and that's sort of what I'm in for. But uh, we'll, we'll dig through the weird experimental early shit first. All right. <laughs> and last edition is another new box set, uh, the films of Lucas Modison, who's an interesting Swedish director. I've only seen his second movie, Tillsammans, or Together, which is really fun. Okay. Uh, this is his first film, and the first one in the set, Fucking a Mall. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's the the a mall is the name of the small town that they live in. Okay. okay. It's a lesbian coming of age movie. Oh. This Swedish girl who uh, has realized that she's gay and she has a crush on like the popular girl, and it's just her slowly trying to maybe get in with her, uh, and just living in this fucking shitty Swedish small town, just how lame it is. Cool. Yeah. So we haven't picked from the main stacks in quite some time. It's very deeply changed from whenever we saw it last in it December. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't really looked at it. I haven't looked at it. <laughs> uh, so I was thinking since this next episode that we're going to be doing that we're picking for this week is going to be recorded on Valentine's day. Right. No idea when it's actually going to come up. I think it'd be well after Valentine's Well, it will be well after Valentine's Day. It won't be before. It will be after, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I know how time works, I swear. Um, I Tenet, was wondering. We'll, we'll do a temporal pincer movement, and the episode will secretly appear uh, before uh, all further Valentine's it. Days. You know, oh. it, it, it's going to be there for Valentine's Day 2024 and 2025. <laughs> it will, it will. So what I was thinking is, uh, what I want to choose something from here that is romance or romance adjacent. So we've definitely got a bunch of stuff for that. Uh, Lucky Star, of course, is uh, a, probably an early talkie, maybe a late silent about a World War One vet who's lost his legs and he comes back from the war and it's all very depressing because there's the girl he loves and he just he's too depressed. Uh, I've seen it before a long time ago. I remember being it's it's okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> next, there, there's a new leaf, which is uh, an Elaine May comedy with uh, Walter Matthau. Oh, and it's him. Uh, it's it's directed by Elaine May and also starring Elaine May. I think it's maybe the only time she did this. Uh, and she's just this strange, spacey, social debutante who's just too weird. N- no one's been able to like she she is. This is why she's still single. And 
Walter Matthau is just this uh, dissipated playboy who's spent all of the money he has access to, so he kind of wants to get married to get access to more money. And he's thinking of finding someone he can just, like, marry and then kill off. Oh, my. So it's sort of like a Bluebeard scheme, but it's played, you know, very black comedy. It's pretty fun. Cool, cool. There's The Fisher King, I feel like, is kind of a romance. It's been many years since I've seen that. There's As Tears Go By, which is the first uh, film by uh, Wong Kar Wai, which, you know, most of his movies, I think, usually involve sort of tragic romances. Uh, Two parallel stories of Wah caught in the mist, mist, midst, it should be midst, uh, of a love affair with his beloved cousin Ngor and his relationship with his triad brother Fly, who seems to never fall out of trouble. Oh my. Interesting. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Is Gamera a love story? This is sort of a love story. That's the one with the brain-eating aliens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sure one of them will be a love story. There's Bloody Mama. That's kind of a family love story. <laughs> oh? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. So that's, that's that's the Ma Barker one, right? That's the Barker gang one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There is... Flatliners, which is a Joel Schumacher movie, so it's a whole bunch of people having... Uh, sexy relationships while also being addicted to dying and coming back to life as medical students. Got Kiefer Sutherland and, you know, the whole Brat Pack group. Cool, cool. Um, Oh, somebody mentioned that movie at work the other day, actually. Oh, no shit. There is a remake of it, too. Oh. Which came out in, like, 2010. It doesn't exist. Nobody cares about it. It's (laughs) just, like, it came out as, like, it was, like, no, <laughs> the other one, though. Uh, and of course, there's Fucking Amal, the one I mentioned. I guess that's mm-hmm. sort of a, a romance adjacent, I guess. I was actually kind of thinking about that because it's also starting a new director who, for all I know, I might really like or really not True. like. I have no idea. True. I I have not actually seen this one yet myself. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's plenty here. Yeah, there's some stuff to pick from. Yeah. The White uh, Sheik is also one that's sort of a it's it's this lady on her honeymoon and uh, she's obsessed with acting and actors and her favorite actor happens to be vacationing on the beach and she's like maybe trying to work her way into becoming an actress. Okay. Um Yeah, actually let's do fucking them all. All right. So that uh, starts starts the very fucking heavy duty Lukey, Lukey, Lucas Moody Sun collection from Arrow, uh, which is just like it's it it weighs a ton. It's much more dense than some of the other ones, but like it's it's got like this heavy hardcover book in it. Oh, it, here I'm gonna just set it down. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh my God. It's got some fucking weight to it. Oh, uh, shit. So. All right, so uh, fucking a mall and Alien Covenant. Some very different styles of movies we'll be touching on next week. All right. So, uh, any final thoughts before we close for this evening? Yeah, happy Valentine's Day, because this one will be going up before Valentine's Day, I'm sure. Maybe. Yes, yeah, this one will be going up on the 12th, I believe. 
cool. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. And hello, champagne.